I thought we were closer than most fathers and sons. Why? I felt better than I ever had, so I just kept on doing it. This isn't us. This is not who we are. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast offering listeners 50 cents for each piece of sea glass. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy... I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my beautiful boy, Joe Reed. Beautiful, 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 beautiful boy. I suppose uh, I could have done that. Listen, it's very hard to pull a joke from this movie, listen, as we usually do in our lead-up. Podcast outlines are what happen when you're making other plans. Um, Beautiful boy. I suppose I could have called you my everything but that's one of we'll get into it that's one of you the could things have, that i don't like about this movie you could have called me your uh frustrating meth addict so i guess this, this is the the better that uh nice. that wouldn't have been nice i might have done that um yeah this is a movie we saw together I, this one is of exactly the rares i was gonna lead us in one of the rares we saw We're, this together as I listeners, as I text Joe to try to figure out how he could if he could remember this in his brain, we walked out of Gloria Bell and right. straight into the theater for this movie. So you can imagine it was not setting this movie up for success. The um, upgrade in companions, though, we went from uh, Jeff uh, Wells, Jeff Wells to our to... our dear friend Matthew Rodriguez. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> much bigger upgrade. So that's good. Um, Matthew, thank you for seeing this movie with us. Yes. We miss um, you. But yeah, the fall off from Gloria Bell to... Here's what I will say. There was a lot of sort of hatred for Beautiful Boy from the critical Immediate. community. Immediate. I was less... And watching it again... Well, it was an interesting experience watching it again. Because for the most part in this movie, I think I get so um, empathetic towards the premise and the plot mm-hmm. of like i'm just like oh god what a nightmare this seems oh my because this poor father who you know this poor family um uh, i think now that i have not to be like as an uncle of nephews but like um now that i have a nephew i watch a lot of these stories to just be like oh god if your sweet little child like grew up and like this is sort of and like that's kind of the premise of beautiful boy is 100%. what if you're what if your sweet little child grew up and then had his entire life ravaged by a meth addiction? And it's hard to then watch that and just be like, and to focus on process and focus on the filmmaking as much, though I try. Um, so I think watching this movie then and now, I'm, I think, overloaded with empathy, which is sort of how, like, 
tearjerkers kind of get me too. This movie is not mm-hmm. one that like left me crying, but like I'm just so because this is a movie that is more frustrating than devastating. I think I think it's I think in its intention, I think it's supposed to show the sort of frustration of having to deal with drug addiction that does not sort of lend itself towards easy you know, recovery narratives. But and also, I mean, I think it's intentionally trying to reflect a flattening and tangle of time. You know, this is a movie that's very back and forth and it's like very when much you're so. talking about addiction journeys, you know, it's not a straight line. Very and I much think so. the movie tries to embody that and I think it's not successful at that in a way that's I would agree. It's not just like this isn't working while you're watching, but it's also frustrating in a way that I don't think the movie intends to be. I think the movie intends to be somewhat frustrating. I think it's it's intending it to be frustrating to a degree, but not maybe in all of the ways that it actually is frustrating. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's a very good movie, but to kind of piggyback off of what you're saying, I think it's easy to forgive this movie its flaws because I think it is trying to do something and it's not successfully pulling it off. Yeah. Um, but also, I, you can kind of question some of the way that it was produced, maybe, and that it's like, well, that's not going to uh, create the best result for you. Mm-hmm. Like having Timothy Chalamet do the most harrowing stuff in this movie at the beginning of filming. Sure. And, sure. and, you know, the most harrowing stuff in this movie is across various different time periods. And yeah. I think that's hard f- to create a consistent characterization. Um, yeah. Spoiler alert, I don't love... Yeah, you don't like his performance in this movie. I think I he's f- I think he's like easily the best. I feel like I was more forgiving of it this time than when we yeah. first watched it. I think he's leagues better than Carell, I think, is the problem. I, and, I, and I think... They're really I mismatched. Don't... They're very. That's the. the pro- I think it's more. That's more of the problem yes. for me than either of their performances. Yeah. Is that you. I never really believe them as a father and son. Mm-hmm. Not just. I like, agree. They look nothing alike, and like. Right. Timothy Chalamet does not look like the product of Amy Ryan and Steve Carell. I could buy them it, as father and son in a comedy. I don't know if I buy them as father and son in a drama that's this harrowing. I don't know if that makes any sense, but um. Sure, sure. I just you don't buy the relationship between the two of them. You really and you really need to. You really need to buy into this sort of bone deep. The other the the other thing is because it's a movie that takes place and hops back around into a lot of different time periods. There are like multiple people, including Jack Dylan Grazer, who play the younger version of Nick Chef, and because mm-hmm. a lot of the emotion through the of the Carell's character is the bond that we see him having with Nick when Nick is that young those aren't scenes with Chalamet do you know what I mean so then it I know we're supposed to sort of like as a viewer suspend disbelief and and you know you know go with the flow and understand that like this is how you know movies work but because Jack Dylan Grazer though is smart casting for young Timothy Chalamet though. one million percent especially in 2018 yeah um, but because so many of those scenes happen without Chalamet, those you you don't have the that you know history like intra film history with those two characters when you really need it the most. And I don't know, it's tough. You can still, I mean, I still think that relationship can be 
more developed between those two actors. Yeah, that's what regardless. I mean. I think it needed to be. Yeah, um, yeah. Even if you do have those flashbacks to the younger character in the movie, right? You just need to invest a lot of its more foundation in it. At the beginning of the film is with those younger actors. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think some of my problem with that and what's not working here goes back to the adaptation process because it's mm-hmm. adapted from both a novel yeah a a, a, not a novel a memoir written by each of those characters so you're trying to blend Mm -hmm. both of their experiences both of their narratives into one movie and it It, those two never really cohere but also i think spreading that attention span across the -hmm. creation of this really makes it incredibly unfocused. Like I understand the value mm-hmm. in showing both sides of an addiction narrative, you know, the person that right. going through it right. and then the person who has to go through them going through it. But yes. it's not coherently done in the movie and I think the weaker of the two is obviously the Steve Carell side. And then the strongest part of that is Lisa Gay Hamilton coming into the very, the very the last second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In like what is the most emotionally effective mm-hmm. monologue of the moment of the movie, but she's giving this monologue, half of which the camera is on Carell and not her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I think you're I, right that the the weakest part is the Corel narrative, but it's also the part that gets the most narrative attention. Mm-hmm. And I think that the stuff with Nick suffers because not only is it like on a time basis, you don't get as much time spent with Nick, but also the style of the movie d- feels very haphazard with Nick and not intentionally like chaotic, but like um, not as cared for. I think the the stuff with I think this feels very much like the father's movie, which is sort of Mm -hmm. reflected in the fact that, like, you know, Chalamet is pitched as a supporting actor contender. You know what I mean? It's not so much a true two-hander. And I think it would have required a much bolder filmmaking choice to be able to bifurcate this movie in a way that maybe it needs to be. To really reflect the fact that it's two separate stories, the first reflect the fact that it's the memories of two separate people whose view of whose angle on this is so completely opposite. I think you needed to be much more immersed into what Nick is doing. You see, need to see him. He's always, he's talking so many of this is like I got to get back to New York. I got to go to New York. Like. We have no real sense of what his life was like in New York beyond the fact that, like, we just assume he did a lot of meth. You know what I mean? We assume we take New York to be a shorthand for that's where that's where our sons go to get on drugs, which feels like a very Marin County kind of, you know, perspective on things. And um, I think it would have taken a much a, a bolder filmmaker and one that would risk disaster more. I think you risk having it seem cartoonish to be like, you know, uh, you know, a happy family man, Steve Carell, and like dark drug, you know, a teenager, Nick. But I think that's, if you're going to sort of synthesize these two memoirs, you really need to have something that feels like two very different yet equally represented perspectives. Yeah. And I don't think you get that in this movie. Yeah. 
I, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, <laughs> this movie, I think also, because apparently in interviews, Felix Van Gronen and the director, who we'll get into, uh, talked about having a seven-month editorial process on this movie and how they completely scrapped multiple edits of this movie and that mm. it was tricky to... Uh, you know, land on a cut of the movie that mm-hmm. was satisfactory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this this was one of the movies going into this tiff that we'd heard rumors about that, you know, they were basically editing it up until the last minute. Yeah. And uh, a couple other movies uh, had that kind of uh, gossip around them going into it, some of the which turned out to... Uh, you know, beef or not, were good movies. Other movies that had, I think, similar problems to this. And that uh, same tiff, you mean? Yeah. Which were the other ones? Uh, Boy Erased, and I thought Beale Street was the other one. Which it's mm. like the, all these right. movies would make sense that you know, however unfounded or founded those rumors would be, it's like these are all movies that are kind of in flux in time. So, like, yes, it would require a very arduous and intricate editorial process for those movies and sometimes it works like beale street and uh sometimes it's you know half in half out yeah. like boy erased and then sometimes it just flat out doesn't work like this movie. right right i think that's right um but when this did premiere at that tiff yes like i i forgot to pull up the schedule i think it was like the friday night and it kind of just instantly cratered well but not as work. much there were bigger craters at that festival, though, which I yeah. think sort of masked the fact that this movie did not land very well. But this definitely was one of those movies that had big Oscar buzz going into Toronto and much, much, much quieter Oscar buzz, pretty much just relegated to Chalamet's performance after the festival. Mm-hmm. And um, you have... Okay, this is... Let's get into this in, in the early portion, because I think this is interesting. Um, one of the notes in the miscellanea section of our outline is you you uh, list all the TIFF galas that were that year, and you you talk about TIFF galas the a lot. Lineup. <laughs> well, okay, so I I feel like this is one of those things that we talk about as a shorthand, and maybe have never really explained. Like when you say typical TIFF gala, like what do you what do you mean? Because like you say that a lot. I mean. What are the, explain what the TIFF galas are? Years, it's you only get a handful of them because it's one. It's the big premiere per night. At yes, TIFF. yes, with giant red carpets, sponsored events. It's in the fancier venue. Yeah, which you know has more like sponsors dressing fancy, even though like we're all just here to you know see a movie. You know, not everybody's in ball gowns, but you know it right. has a more elevated status. In that festival, um, and tend which to makes be, the flops stand out a little bit more. Yes, too. and there tends to be a decent number of flops within, uh, you know, uh, any lineup of galas, or you yeah. know, it's it's movies that it's like, well, why is this really given the platform that it was going into this festival? If Green Book was talked about at all, it was within that context. Like, well, that's premiering on like a Tuesday night gala. It's probably bad. 
Turns out it was. It just so happened to be a Best Picture. We say that, though, because unless you have, if you're a Tuesday night gala versus like a opening, like, well, no, they don't do really have a really great track record with opening nights. But like. You have more eyes on you on like a Friday night, which I believe uh, right. Beautiful Boy was. And like right. it was a world premiere. It implies that it's one of the hottest tickets of the festival. Sure. Whereas if you are a later in the festival gala, it it implies that there's less enthusiasm right. for the film. When a lot of people who travel to come to the festival are gone, you know, right. a lot of the Europeans and the Americans have already left. Right. And so you see that reflected a little bit in what the galas were at the 2018 Toronto Festival, where, uh, re- well, read them out. You you went to the trouble of, of tracking on, these me, down. Let me get down to that spot. We'll cut the dead air. No, we'll leave it in. <laughs> it's, it's so there, a lot of these galas that I listed, there's some disappointment around them, but like some, like probably the actual hottest ticket is A Star Is Born. Was this know. the year that Outlaw King was the opening night film? By the way, I thought that was 2017, but maybe it was, was 2018. It? Okay. Uh. Outlaw King, a movie that no one had really any expectation going into, and then the only I talk did. around it after uh, after the premiere was that you see Chris Pine's penis. I liked that movie. It was 2018. So yeah, that was the opening night film. Other galas include uh, First Man and Widows, Oscar disappointments. First Man won the visual effects Oscar, but I think largely we would say that was not as embraced yeah. as it was anticipated to be ahead of the festivals. Uh, Green Book, the Best Picture winner. Life Itself, which when you mention, you know, there were bigger bombs at this festival. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> you were thinking of Life Itself. See our previous yes. episode on Life Itself. Yep. Uh, the Hate You Give, which I mostly Still have... remember. Oh, no, I have for, seen The Hate You Give. Yes. Uh, Russell Hornsby's fantastic performance in that movie. Mm-hmm. And Claire Denise High Life, which... That's what Robert Pattinson will do for you in 2018. Inexplicably was... I, I think High Life has that reputation of, like, by the time the movie was over, it was like 40% of the theater was still there or something, <laughs> because all of these, like, fancy schmance, uh, you know, sponsor people mm-hmm. show up. Uh, being like, oh, Robert Pattinson in space, having never seen a Claire Denis movie and not yeah. knowing uh, yeah. all that was to come, uh, yeah. literally. Uh, so yeah, weird lineup of galas, and then you have this, which should be a straight play down the middle. And, you know, there were respectful reviews for this movie. This movie's positive yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's like, it, it, both Rotten Just. Tomatoes and Metacritic are in the 60s for this movie, and mm-hmm. that, to that me, is a right. sign of people being generous towards it. Sure, yeah. But also, it makes sense. You know? But a lot of the reviews, too, were were sort of uh, split reviews, where they're like, the movie's not great, but Shalom is amazing. Like, you got that in a lot of reviews. So, um, it's we'll tough to, up. like, is that a positive review? Is that a negative review? Like, what's, you know what I mean? So, yeah. um. There's some middle ground there. Or the level of mixed where, I mean, I think I think maybe we're in this range. You're. It sounds like you're in this range of 
This movie has a lot of problems for it, but I'm willing to assess it. I'm I'm willing. Yeah, I think to give it a benefit of a doubt. When I say I'm being kind to this movie, I, I it sounds like I'm like surrendering my critical faculties, and not no, that's no, no, not no, really no, what no, it I is. Think. I think there's a generosity that you can have to a movie that doesn't really work for you, but you appreciate enough about it. And I think there are movies that maybe deserve Venom more than others, <laughs> and I don't think this is one that deserves, uh, you know. Maybe it deserves a little bit better than the reputation that it has. I've seen some people sort of dismiss it out of hand as like trash. You know what I mean? And it's not, or just like, you know, without merit. And I don't think it's that. Yes. While also not exactly being a fascinating failure. You know how I talk about like, I love movies that are fascinating failures. This is maybe a little bit less interesting than that. So I wouldn't like go flock to this to be like, where did it all go wrong? I do think it's kind of an interesting place for both Carell and Timmy's careers, but we'll get Mm -hmm. into that later. Mm -hmm. Um, Joe, would you like to tell our listeners about our Patreon? Absolutely, I would. Um, If you are not already a member of the This Head Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance Patreon community, I must say, as a completely neutral observer... Uh, I highly recommend it. It is uh, for the low, low price of $5 a month. I think I described it as the cost of a, cu- of a cup of coffee. But like, as I was listening back to that, I'm like, the range on what you could say is what <laughs> what constitutes a cup of coffee is so broad that I think that term is pretty much meaningless. Um, so let's say for the cost of a decently, like... Uh, uh, what like a Dunkin' Donuts breakfast sandwich? Let's the say. cost of a cheesy gordita crunch. The cost for the cost of it that's perfect for the cost of yeah. a cheesy gordita crunch once a month. Listen, you can sacrifice one cheesy gordita crunch a month. I believe in you. Um, and instead, oh, you, you want to get... buy your favorite podcasters a cheesy gordita crunch, wouldn't you? <laughs> Just to put up a photo of me looking glum and being like, "Wouldn't you like to buy this podcaster a cheesy gordita crunch?" Doesn't he deserve it? Um, now all that's going to happen is if we ever get to the position where we can do a live show, people are going to bring us cheesy gordita crunches. Drowning in cheesy gordita crunches that Here's are like cream, please hold cold cream. because they've been like standing in line holding them. You know what I mean? In the middle of March or whatever. Listen, we love you guys for your for our completely fabricated uh, behavior that we have you doing anyway. Um, Joe, what are they getting I've for wondered. the cost of that cheesy gordita crunch? They're getting two extra bonus episodes a month at minimum. One of those episodes will be uh, what we're calling Exceptions, which we've been sort of teasing for a while uh, before we launched the Patreon, which is essentially movies that are th- this had Oscar buzz movies, except for the fact that we can't talk about them on main feed because they got an Oscar nomination or two. Otherwise, they fit the This Had Oscar Buzz rubric perfectly. Movies like The Lovely Bones, which was a uh, which was a patron's choice episode that we uh, covered. So we will also sometimes put up polls and let you choose for us. But these are movies like Charlie Wilson's War and The Mirror Has Two Faces. We talked about Australia with our friend Katie Rich. We just recently talked about the Paul Giamatti film Barney's version that got one Oscar nomination for Old Age Makeup. But otherwise, it's pretty wild that this is an Oscar nominee. So uh, we definitely talked about it. We have, by the time this episode goes up, 
it's we have well we won't have quite gotten to Molly's game yet, or will we have uh, Molly's game? Up no, on, Molly's uh, game is coming soon. It's our next listener's choice. Up it's there. our next listener's choice. I cannot tell you how excited I am to talk about Molly's game. Um, so. Uh, our second bonus episode, which drops at the 15th of every month, is what we call an excursion. So those are uh, off-format. We're not really talking about a movie. We are talking about things like Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtables, or we'll recap a mo- uh, an awards ceremony. We've done the 1996 MTV Movie Awards. We will dip in to talk about the state of the current Oscar race. We just did our episode, our superlatives episode, where we gave our winners in various absolutely insane categories pulled from the various precursor awards you don't want to miss uh what our thoughts were on the national board of review freedom of expression award so uh join us and then go listen to our superlatives episode we are i think it's worth it just for that episode i think that episode is the most unhinged thing unwell ever done we're very unwell in that episode yeah yeah, uh, an annual tradition has definitely begun. You definitely want to be a part of it. We also do things like we have a uh, hotline, a listener call-in line that you can, or whatever, a patron call-in line that you can like call in, ask us a question. We will post our responses uh, as we are able to get to them. So those will uh, be a bonus. We have, like we said, we have polls. We've got some fun little, you know, things in the works coming up so again for the cost of a cheesy gordita crunch i think it's worth it so this had oscar buzz turbulent brilliance you can find us at patreon.com slash this had oscar buzz come join us please do please do joe we are here talking about the motion picture beautiful boy Mm -hmm. directed by felix van groningen Written by Van Groningen and Luke Davies from the memoirs of David Sheff and Nick Sheff, starring Steve Carell, Timothy Chalamet, Amy Ryan, Maura Tierney, Caitlin Deaver, Timothy Hutton, the aforementioned Jack Dylan Glazer, and Lisa Gay Hamilton. How many Caitlin Deavers have we done? It feels like Caitlin Deaver. I think Who's this gonna was get there four. First, Joe? Caitlin well, Deaver or Catherine Newton? <laughs> what Catherine Newtons have we done? We've done. Maybe we haven't. See, maybe I don't think Catherine we've done Newton. a Catherine Newton. Yeah. Catherine Newton isn't in Men, Women, and Children. Timmy's in Men, Women, and Children. Timmy and Caitlin Deaver are both in Men, Women, and Children. Yeah. Um, Caitlin Deaver, I believe this is our fourth Caitlin Deaver after she's in J. Edgar, which I totally, she must have been a child wow. in that, or a, a, a baby. Um, Men, Women, and Children, and then the front runner. So this is our fourth. This is what did I say that this would be our fifth Carell? This is our fifth Steve Carell after Crazy Stupid Love, Welcome to Marwen, The Way Way Back, and Battle of the Sexes. And I want to say it's only our second Timmy, uh, Timmy episode after Men, Women, and Children. So not a lot of movies for Timmy, to be honest. There, and a lot there are some we can move into. We can do. I think going forward, The King is a possibility. Definitely, we're going to do Wonka, and if you when that becomes available, um, uh, if we end up having to do Steve Carell for his six timers for Asteroid City. Yeah. Steve Carell of all people in that movie. I think he's very funny, but he was Bill it. Murray at the last minute. Oh, is that true? I don't think I knew that. Yes, he did. The story is he replaced Bill Murray because Bill Murray got COVID, but 
Ah, oh, stuff was yeah. also going on with Bill Murray at that time. You are much more plugged in than I am. Um, uh, that's good. It's good gas. But Steve Carell constantly basically walking around with a martini to hand someone. <laughs> I love him in that movie. Uh, wow. So I guess Caitlin Deaver will uh, will do a Caitlin Deaver one before we do a Catherine Newton one. My hope mm-hmm. for when we do Asteroid City is that we have to do like seven six timers. <laughs> we're also not. I'm saying it right now. We're not doing. Madam Web does not count as having Oscar buzz. So we cannot do uh, Catherine Newton. Catherine Newton's in Madam Web, right? I think you're thinking of Sydney Sweeney. Isn't there a third though? Isn't it Dakota Johnson, Sydney Sweeney? Thing in Madam Web. A secret? Isn't there a secret third actress in Madam Web? I thought there was. There's three younger actresses, but Catherine Newton, I do not believe, is one. Oh, Catherine Newton's Cat- committed to. She's 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 Ant Man's daughter Frankenstein right now. Which I she's in Lisa Frankenstein is what I'm thinking of, but she's also Ant Man's daughter. So wait, so who's? Hold on, I'm looking up Madam Web, which I'm seeing. I think later this weekend. Even though last time we talked, I think I was adamant about not seeing Madam Web, but the. The horribleness of the reviews. I am, and this is just so rude. The reviews have been so bad. I've got to see what what I'm what the fuss is. Gonna have a good time. Gonna have a it, good time. Isabella Merced is the third. Is the secret third uh, actress in in Madam Web. There Lamb. you go. Wait, Emma Roberts is also in Madam Web. Carrie Bichet. I am. I'm definitely seeing this movie now. If Carrie Bichet is in it. <laughs> um. All right. Oh, so, so I got to do a plot description, right? Okay. Movie had a world premiere as a Tift Gala, opened in limited release October 12th of 2018, and continued to. It took a long time expand. Like, it really yeah. took its time, which was maybe smart because I was a little surprised to see how much money this movie made. Uh, but its wide ish release was November 2nd, 2018. Yes. Joe, are you prepared yes. to give a 60-second plot description of Beautiful Boy? If you're asking whether I prepared anything, no, but I think I've got it. I think All I've right. got it under All control. Right. Your 60-second plot description of Beautiful Boy starts now. There isn't really much plot to Beautiful Boy. Uh, Steve Carell plays uh, David Sheff, who is a writer whose son, teenage son, Nick Sheff, played by Tim- Timothy Chalamet, becomes addicted to meth and goes through a increasingly harrowing cycle of addiction and uh, rehabilitation that seems to have no end. He gets put in uh, uh, facilities and it looks like he's recovered and then he relapses and uh, puts the families, his younger two siblings uh, go through it. His stepmother played by Maura Tierney is going through it. Amy Ryan is his mother who is like, living in L.A. Uh, he goes to live with her in L.A. for a while, and that seems like it's going to work, but of course that doesn't. And he relapses again, and much to David's Ten frustration, seconds. he cannot find a way to help his son, and ultimately we are left with a postscript that says that Nick is eight years sober, but that all seems very hard and tenuous, and without uh, the cycle, does not seem to have a clean ending the end. Eight seconds over. I don't it's know. I don't have a plot to... description for yeah. this movie than to just say broadly what it's about because yeah. you know time is truly the flattest. What is the plot in this? You know what I mean? What are the plot points in this? Like he, you know, he steals money from his little siblings. He mm-hmm. he meets Caitlin Deaver and they go and you know shoot up and she seems like she nearly dies and it's just sort of this like these cycling things of like bad 
uh, things. He ends up in the hospital. Carell is constantly sort of like on the phone with people checking. Um, it's just sort of this, like it's this cycle and it's this intentionally frustrating track in trying to show contrary to other movies about addiction, which, you know, everybody's seen after school specials, everybody's seen the Mm -hmm. like Hollywood version of, addiction stories where they have clear narrative arcs you know this movie is on the right track of being like the narrative arc of uh, addiction is a mobius strip you know they Mm -hmm. you can't draw a clear through line of Mm -hmm. right you know crescendo and resolution because that's not how addiction works and that's not how the you know People, the emotional arc of people who care for people of addiction go through their own process either. I think one of the smarter do it very well. I think one of the smarter decisions the movie makes is it doesn't show you when he starts to do meth. Right. Really? You know what I mean? All of a sudden, it's just like because the movie starts media res and then sort of flip flops back through time, but never really gives you that scene of like, Somebody at a party being like, you ever try this, man? It's really good. And him being like, I don't know. I'm, you know, I have good parents. I wouldn't do something like this, you know? And then, and, and then on does top it. of that, I think the movie is on the right track to not say, like, well, he does drugs because of this happening mm-hmm. in his life or this type of damage. You know? While also giving you hints of letting you draw your own conclusions, maybe we're like, there is pressure from his dad for him to be, you know, special or extraordinary or something Mm -hmm. like that there is divorce in his family which is like not the most it's not exactly acrimonious but it's not the most copacetic divorce right there are there's resentments there Um, i think where other movies would be like yes he's addicted to drugs because his parents divorce i think this movie is more so trying to say there's things that make this so much more Mm-hmm. complicated and addiction mm-hmm. gets wrapped up in all of those feelings rather than yes that thing that happened is an inciting event to someone's addiction you know and it I also that, that is all smart it's just how it yeah goes and because it. the movie as i had said before is a little bit more weighted towards david's story you get stuff like oh here's a flashback to the time when we smoked a joint together because you know and the movie doesn't really press too hard on this um, but you know that, like, clearly David is thinking, like, did I fuck up? Did I gateway drug my own son? You know what I mean? Into, like, that kind of a thing. On top of all of these other reasons of, can he reconcile the idea that he didn't cause his child's addiction in some way? Right. Um, and that he can't um, sort of will his son, he can't love his son into recovery i think this movie has a lot of ideas and i think that's maybe one of the problems is it's maybe too scattered with ideas because then you also get into the thing of like david is studying up on the medical effects of what meth does to the brain he goes to meet timothy hutton who is a you know a doctor who helps him learn about the physical aspects of meth he's taught there's that scene with him and maura tierney where he's like, new study says that you can, you know, repair your fried, you know, uh, nerve cells in your brain or whatever. Um, and it sounds like it's almost like a Lorenzo's oil, sort of like he's doing his own, you know, research kind of thing. 
That's one of the things I think that makes it not work is like its approach to an addiction story is not the cliche, but a lot of the pieces that it does to to achieve that approach are. I don't even know if I would call that cliche. I just feel like it's not really like it's sort of left to to flap in the breeze a little bit. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know where that angle of the story goes and it and. It, it either needs to be pretty shaggy in a way too, because it's like that flapping in the breeze vibe. Whereas if this was maybe a tighter ninety-minute movie, yeah, you wouldn't you know? You would. There's also to wander. There's also the sort of macro thing around the movie, which I don't necessarily think is a flaw of the movie, but probably needs to be addressed to some point. Which is part of there's an undeniable racial and class element Mm -hmm. to this movie which is this movie is essentially one of the things the movie is is saying like there's no really getting around it is can you believe that this beautiful like it's in the title right beautiful boy right can you believe that this you know that this boy who grew up with money and privilege and he's white and he's handsome and he's talented and he's got all these advantages even that could succumb to to meth addiction and there's a degree to which that's sort of a a, a noble thing which is to say maybe stop assuming that your children are safe because your children are privileged hmm. but also there is a, a flip side of that which is to say so are you saying that it makes more sense that people who are right. not white and not rich, like those people make sense to be drug addicts and my son does not make sense to be a drug addict. Like my the, my story is special because um my son shouldn't have been a drug addict where and the unspoken thing is maybe your son should be a drug addict. You know what I mean? Maybe it's mm-hmm. more understandable that your son right. who who doesn't have these qualities to him. So there there is that. There's also the aspect of and I know that this is based on two memoirs, so like it is sort of two sides of the story, but like were I Nick Chef and my dad wrote a book talking about my drug addiction, mm-hmm. I don't know how I would feel about that. You know what I mean? Like I don't know there is some sort of sense of... Which is probably some of the impetus for him to write his own book and talk his own story. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just this idea that, like, just because my dad is a writer, I am, like, fodder for his career? I don't I don't know. I don't know. It makes me... It, it unavoidably makes me not love the David character, mm-hmm. knowing that he wrote this memoir. You know what I mean? Right, right. Well, I mean, there is a level of trying to assist other parents sure. of addicts sure. or, you know, loved ones of addicts and sure. getting them through the process of right. understanding addiction and your non, uh, your, essentially your helplessness mm-hmm. yeah. in other per- other people's addiction, you know, sure. there's only... There's really And maybe this is something that Nick was totally on board with. I'm just saying that like from my dumb outsider's perspective, I'm like, God, like Right, right. There's a there's an arrogance there's an arrogance to David that I don't know how much of it is intentional within 
Carell's performance, and maybe that's just something that I'm bringing to that, but like... Carell's performance doesn't help, because Carell is mm-hmm. only, I would argue, occasionally an actor that lets you in as mm-hmm. an audience member, and that can lead him to come off as a little cold, or a little um, heart... maybe not heartless, but... yeah. We talk so much about, in like, I'm saying this after a year's worth of everybody, including myself, sort of psychoanalyzing Bradley Cooper for every decision he made making Maestro and his career and whatever. We maybe don't talk enough about, like, the psychology of Steve Carell, this, like, very gifted comedic actor, incredibly funny guy who's been very, you know, great in all of these contexts, who seems bound and determined to be a dramatic actor for reasons. You know what I mean? Dot, dot, dot. And I want, like, it's interesting that we put all of this sort of like armchair psychologizing onto Bradley Cooper and not onto somebody like Steve Carell, who is weird, is more broadly famous because like the reach of the office is insane. I could could have a conversation with like my mom about Steve Carell. I don't think my mom really would, care to talk about Bradley Cooper. And I think the thing about Steve Carell, where like he's on The Office all this time, he never wins an Emmy. It's sort of like, it's a story, but it's not a big story. It's not like a Angela Lansbury style, like never won an Emmy kind of story. But like, it definitely exists. They definitely did bits about it on the Emmys where like Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert would be up there with like their armloads of Emmys and be like, Steve! And Steve would be like, hmm. Or like Ricky Gervais like shows up every few years and wins an Emmy for like Steve Carell never won even like a writing Emmy for The Office, right? I don't think he's won anything. Like, feel free to look it up. But like, he won I, a he won a Globe for The Office, but he definitely won a Globe. But like, it was very definitely pointed that he never won an Emmy. And so, I again, you. you utilizing the same armchair psychology that you use for Bradley Cooper, you then say, oh, okay, well then Foxcatcher maybe makes a little bit more sense in context. Maybe um, Freeheld makes more sense in context. Maybe these sort of like, these kind of ill-advised, dramatic, um, I guess, let's do the Steve Carell filmography. Maybe this is the right time for it. Um, okay, the one of the things I want to like take it back to before we take start it back. talking take about it back these now, y'all. projects is... Yeah. Uh, two hops this time. Steve Carell it was very early on in becoming famous, mm-hmm. positioned within comedy as kind of an everyman. And yes. I think that that naturally kind of lends itself. Are you talking when, about when pancake face? When we think face? of an everyman in terms yeah. of movies, we think of dramatic actors. We don't necessarily think of comedic actors, even like. Someone like Tom Hanks, who started as a comedic actor and then mm-hmm. naturally transitioned into drama. It's been harder for someone like Steve Carell, and I think because of his limitations, um, respectfully, the, you know, I think that's where what you're talking about comes from. And Beautiful Boy comes at an interesting point because he basically stops making movies after this year of three not well-received movies. And this is probably safest to say yeah. the most well-received of them. Um, Primetime Emmy Awards, 0 for 9 for The Office. And then he also lost one for The Morning Show, making him 0 for 10. And that includes like outstanding comedy series nominations. 
for The Office when he so was a producer. Weird if he'd won an Emmy for the morning show. It would have been never won um, for The Office. So, all right. So, yes. Um, give me a second. Let me bring up. So, it, the first thing I ever knew Steve Carell from was on The Daily Show. He was a correspondent on The Daily Show. He had this great um, sort of segment with Stephen Colbert where they aped uh, Crossfire, where it was essentially Stephen versus Stephen. Tonight's question, reality-based TV. Does America really need more? Yes. No. Yes. And they would just, like, yell at each other personal insults about whatever topic, and... He was very funny. And then, so his first big breakthrough in terms of post-Daily Show stuff, he was also on, um, oh God, he was on that show Watching Ellie with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Did he play her? Who did he play on that? Um, Hold on. As I read the plot premise description, doesn't say who his character was. He played Edgar on Watching Ellie. Anybody who watched Watching Ellie for any of its 19 episodes, holy shit, that's so many more episodes than I thought. If you watched Watching Ellie, um, uh, comment, uh, tweet at us, and let us know what the nature of Steve Carell's role on that show was. But the big breakthrough for him was Evan Almighty. So that's the, the follow-up well, Bruce, Bruce Almighty. Almighty. And then well, Evan right. Almighty came later. But right, yes, Bruce Almighty first. Um, that's right, I'm sorry. Um, because Evan Almighty comes after a bunch of other things. So he's in Bruce Almighty. He's the um, weatherman? The whatever. Yes. He's Br- uh, Bruce's nemesis. And um, so that's his first big sort of like movie role. Then the year after that is Anchorman, which sort of cements him as Yellow. a person to know for for a like wide demographic. He's, you know... Uh, everybody's saying loud noises and everybody's, you know, brick killed a man, killed a guy, uh, <laughs> with a trident. Um, Anchorman, I will say as much as I try to be like, boy, I was probably a big dum dumb, you know, who like, you know, was quoting Anchorman all the day and like, you know, like, but if you go back and watch it, it's like, oh no, this movie's like legitimately incredibly funny. We got to give Anchorman like another three years of quiet like yeah. we're we're out of the weeds of everybody quoting it all the time if we just let it lie dormant for a few more years we're yeah. going to go and revisit anchorman and have a great time yeah but yes. like we we gotta let the well fill on that movie so 2005 then he's uh uncle arthur in the misbegotten nora efron uh version of bewitched he's playing the paul lind role um in bewitched He's also has a small role in Melinda and Melinda, so maybe that's all already he's like, you know, looking to uh, uh, break into um, something with a little bit more dramatic respect. And of course, 2005 is the year that The Office premieres, and that's sort of where it all, you know, breaks open for him. But in that same year, it's The Office and also 40-Year-Old Virgin. So like Steve Carell could not be a hotter ticket comedy wise right is like his 40 year old version also like changed the game in american comedy hundred million dollar grocer turns apatow into an adjective like it absolutely like sets the template for what comedy was going to do um and then the office which was sort of a slow build um 
comes, I guess, technically after Season one is a mid-season replacement. Season one Mm -hmm. is not as well received as the rest of the show would be. They make major changes to season two. And it really starts to work. And then, so you get into 2006, he's a supporting role in Little Miss Sunshine. I think he's tremendously good in Little Miss Sunshine. Would have nominated him um, more so than Arkin, even though I think Arkin is also, like, I think everybody in Little Miss Sunshine is good. I'm a big fan of that movie. Um, where do you come down on Little Miss Sunshine? I have to rewatch it because I'm yeah. I were you a hater? It's snob? been long enough that I've I haven't seen the movie that I can't really speak on it. But in more in times of most recently seeing it, I didn't necessarily see what the big deal was, even though I'm not right. negative on the right. movie. Um, I'm trying to see now that I have his awards tab up too. When was his first? So he gets his first primetime Emmy nomination in the the uh, fall, summer to fall 2006. So right with that second season. Um, 2007 is where, like, we hit some rocky waters, right? This is Evan Almighty, which is the uh, sequel, follow-up, spin-off to Bruce Almighty, where he takes the no lead. one really asked for. No one really asked for, and that thing bombs. Um, I don't I'm, think it bombed. I just don't think it was. It was like an April movie. For a $175 million budget, it made worldwide 174 So yeah, I imagine with like, that, it lost money. Um, and like critics hated it. Hated it. Hated Why it. would you make that movie that expensive? Yeah. Yeah. He's also in Dan in Real Life, which gets like, it's not like a disaster for him, but like forever and ever, everybody's just going to make fun of pancake face and i was gonna say it's a movie about what happens to a man when he falls into pancakes yes exactly when he sleeps on a bed of pancakes yes um and then 2008 gets smart which is also a movie that does not succeed the way people want it to right I kind of liked get smart <laughs> i remember so little about get smart i know anne hathaway's in it I know there's... They're a bad romantic pairing, but I think they're both funny in the movie. Okay, that is Get Smart is one of the few movies I've seen with The Rock in it. Right, The Rock is in it. Because I just don't see his movies, but he's in that, and I saw that. That's directed by Peter Siegel, who um, directed movies like Anger Management and Fifty First Dates and uh, Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. Come on, The Clumps. so, still has The Office, though. That's the thing. is like, these movies may be flopping, but he still has The Office. Um, and then 2010, it's, uh, you know, he's in Date Night, which I think does well, right? Even though, like, people are mixed on that. But, like, that's a six, That's a hit. That's a hit movie, him it's and like Tina Fey. like a spring does well movie. I don't... Did that movie make $100 million? It might have. Hold on. Worldwide, it did. Um... Look up the yeah, look up the box office for date night. Um but that's also the year that he's does Despicable Me. And that mm-hmm. is a good like that's a that's a low-key triumph in terms of Date Night just shy of a hundred million. Domestic. Yes. Yeah. I th- yeah, and I think it's like 150 worldwide. Despicable um, Me is going to keep his great great grandchildren uh Yes, you know, swimming in vats of well. money. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Even though that same year. Dinner for Schmucks is also that same year. (laughs) Yeah, but it's so easy. It's so easy to brush Dinner for Schmucks aside when you have Despicable Me, right? Right. Um, And then we get into like comedies where he's playing a little bit more of a dramatic, you know, he's in Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. He's in Crazy Stupid Love. Um, Supporting role in Hope Springs. These are all comedies, but these are all comedies that have a, that are sort of, yearning for respectability in some way or another right they are sort the of way leaning. way back feels like it's distinctly he it's him reaching for not yes. funny because he's playing the yep. bad guy in that movie i don't think he has a single joke if i remember correctly i think that's right i think that's right and so and around it feels that like he's reaching for something and around that same time he leaves the office people don't maybe not i don't know people probably do remember um but it's worth remembering that he leaves the office a couple years before that show ends. He leaves in 2011. And it seems, it sure seems like as is taking a intentional pivot towards stuff that's more romantic while also making like the incredible Burt Wonderstone, which like talk about flop city, <laughs> like check your, check your, check your address. You're living in flop city. Um, and then 2014 in Foxcatcher. And I think that's the like, that's one of the big kind of Rosetta Stone moments for Carell, which is like, he plays this, like, not only a dramatic, not only a dramatic role in a dramatic movie, but like facial prosthetics, you know what I mean? Transformation mm-hmm. and a voice. And he's playing a villain. And, um, it's just like all the elements and he gets the Oscar nomination for it, even though I would put him decidedly third among the three leads of that movie in terms While of While saying I am not quality. negative on that performance, I have to agree. I don't love the performance, I have to admit. And then That should be Channing Tatum's Oscar nomination, but I agree. That he's 20, third. Twenty fifteen comes and Free Held is such a disaster, and he's so bad in Free Held. We got to do free held. We do. I'm not relishing it, but like, yes, we do have to do free held. Um, I remember I went to the free held party at TIFF and already the buzz on it was so bad that nobody was talking about free held. I don't think any of the free held people like stuck around the party. Like that's the one where I sort of like famously Katie Rich introduced me to Brie Larson. Um, and but like Brie Larson didn't have anything to do with Free Held. People were just sort of like at the. Free Isn't the it, that's the photo that like did you get Getty image? We were on something? Getty image as Brie Larson, uh, Joe Reed, and a friend. And <laughs> <laughs> as like literally, I was like Katie's plus one to that party. So like I was absolutely the hanger on, and because I was the one who talked to the stringer who was like, we need to get people's names. I'm like, Oh, you know, Joe Reed. And they never got to talk to Katie. So they never got Katie's name. Cause Katie was already talking to somebody else important. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, 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 yeah. anyway. Yes. How embarrassing. Um, and then he's in the big short. I think he's good in the big short. I know you hate that movie. Hate that movie. Hate that movie. I think he's good in that movie. Bale's the one who gets the Oscar nomination, but I think Carell gets the second Globe nomination. Don't they both get nominated for the yes. Globe? Yes. I think they're both nominated for... Are they both nominated for lead or are they both nominated for... Both support? nominated for lead in a comedy. Right, um, right. And Bale's nominated supporting at the Oscar. Yeah. Um, 
Gosling's performance in that movie, while enjoyable, is very much like Ryan Gosling is doing a parody of other characters that he's done. You know what I mean? Like he's, <laughs> it's very much like Ryan Gosling in quotation marks is what you get in the big short. Um, he reunites with Woody Allen in 2016 for Cafe Society. One of the like late stage Woodies that I actually liked. I thought Cafe Society was pretty good. I don't I didn't remember like the movie, but Blake Lively is good in it. Blake Lively is very good in it. Who's the She's other one? Is it Kristen Stewart? Who's the other? Uh... Kristen Stewart and Jesse Eisenberg, because that's like the secret third thing in the Kristen Stewart right. Jesse Eisenberg filmography. Right. God, I don't remember Carell from it very much at all. Um. What do you we I know we did a whole episode on Battle of the Sexes, so it's weird that I'm asking you this, but like what did you think of him as Bobby Riggs in Battle of the Sexes? I don't remember. I think, if I'm going off of memory, having not seen that movie since we did it, there's probably really good stuff and not so great stuff in that, but like he was almost Oscar nominated for that movie. He was, yeah. Um But I mean positive on the movie. That same year, he's in Richard Linklater's Last Flag Flying, which is a movie we should do for this podcast, but I'm so... It's such he's, a bummer but, nothing of a movie. You think he's good it in It is such a nothing of a movie, but I do have to say... Is he the best one? He... I... I mean, it's hard to be the best one in any movie where Lawrence Fishburne exists. Right. Uh, But... The thing I hate about that movie is Cranston. Cranston I know. is always annoying to me. Yeah. Um. But Carell's actually like doing the understated thing, maybe better than he's ever done. So you've movie. never it's seen just the movies a nothing burger. Sorry to go back to Cranston for a second. So you've never seen Breaking Bad. I saw the first season of Breaking Bad. Uh, that's not the that's not the best uh, exposure to Breaking Bad. It definitely like Breaking Bad. It's is one of those shows that probably takes probably just not for me. Probably, but I think it it definitely will change your perspective on Cranston if you ever did, because like I I think maybe while that you know obviously catapulted Cranston, I think it's maybe it, it maybe is like disastrous for his choices as an actor because yeah. he is always emboldened one thousand yeah. times too big, yeah, always surface deep. For me. This is sure. me and my thoughts. Well, on you're not the only one. I think most people really don't like his film output at all. I will say, loved Cranston in Asteroid City because no one is bad in Asteroid City. Oh, yeah. He's actually great in Aster- Asteroid he, City. He's exactly what he needs he's, to be in. He's the Alec Baldwin in Tenenbaums, except you see him. Right. I think Alec Baldwin right. in Royal Tenenbaums is the absolute gold standard in terms of like narrating an arch movie. Um yeah. and and doing it perfectly. Top right. two narration narrator performances in film: Alec Baldwin in Royal Tenenbaums and Joanne Woodward in Age of Innocence. One million Top two percent true. Narrators of can't touch them. Can't touch them. That's can't perfect. All right, back to Carell. So, uh, Last Flag Flying. You know, blah. 2018, Beautiful Boy, which I don't love him in. Vice, he's Donald Rumsfeld, where he's literally playing Donald Rumsfeld kind of as his Anchorman character. <laughs> tomatoes, bit. tomatoes, 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 tomatoes. And then Malcolm to Marwen, which is another movie we've done. We've done two of the three. We've done the only two 2018 Carell movies we can do. Um, again, I mean, Welcome to Marwen feels like his bid to do another Foxcatcher, right? Where it's like deeply dramatic. <laughs> He's like injured, right? He's like, it's, I think he's, you laugh, but like, 
that had that's why we covered it for this episode for this I know, podcast. I know, I know. It had ambition. God, we covered that years ago at this point. I um, know. I know. I think we covered that during the pandemic. We actually sat and watched Welcome to Welcome Marwin to Marwin. We sure did. Pandemic. We sure did. Then 2019, The Morning Show, where he essentially signs on to play the avatar of the uh, Me Too era villains, where he plays a a television anchor who uh, had a sexually coercive relationship with an employee. I can't remember, God, I can't remember the specifics of it, whether it was like, I think it was actual sex, I think it was sexual assault in that show, although God, I can't remember. I do I don't want need to, be to get on board with the morning show, but it's almost more fun to hear. I do too. I know. I know what you mean. I mean, obviously, Christina Tucker is like the poet laureate of talking. About we should have Christina the on the Patreon to just like tell us everything about the morning show and <laughs> and just like just listen to her talk about it. I think it'd be amazing. Um, I read her morning show recaps and don't watch the show. I've been avoiding all recaps because I'm like, one of these days I'm going to go back to the show. Because, like, I drifted in season two. I watched the season two premiere, which literally ends with somebody in Times Square at New Year's 20, like, when 2019 going into 2020 New Year's. And literally the end of the episode, somebody goes, (coughs) and, like, that's the end of the episode. And it's like, that's COVID has arrived. Um, Yeah. Well, and it's also the element of, like, Reese Witherspoon's character, if you're suggesting that this is all happening within real, or within the true timeline of the show, within, like, nine months, she goes from obscurity to being on this television program to being at the uh, Capitol riot, like, being there on January 6th, to being in space, all in the span of, like, a year. I all right now that I now that I'm sort of transitioning to this new uh uh employment era of mine I'm going to watch I'm going to make a make a make a determination to catch up on the morning show I'm going to do it. Um he also in 2020 speaking of the pandemic stars in Space Force the Greg Daniels it was the big Greg Daniels Steve Carell reunion you know stars star and wonder. creator of The Office. Um, it was not a one season wonder. It was a two season wonder. It got a second season, um, that aired in, uh, February of 2022. Yes. Uh, seven more episodes of Space Force. Yeah. Um, got it. Yeah. So in the meantime, he's in, speaking of, uh, things that nobody liked the John Stewart film Irresistible that I have not seen, but Unwatchable. literally it is. I haven't awesome. spoken to a single person who could stand that movie. I think everybody really hated unwatchable. It. I would call it, it. It has like nothing but talented people associated to it, and the movie is unwatchable. Rose Byrne, Mackenzie Davis, Natasha Leone, Chris Cooper. Uh, uh, yeah, nothing but bad things. Um, then. Though, 2023, as you mentioned, passing out cocktails at the uh, at the Motor Lodge in Asteroid City, and good for him. Um, we liked him in that. And then coming up, he's... Oh, no. Every time I see this movie's title, I think, oh, this is like an M. Night Shyamalan thing. I'm going to be really into it or whatever. 
Yes, I you also too? was because I thought during the Super Bowl we were getting the M Night Shyamalan trailer, and no, it's this movie If, if. which is animated, which so is the John Krasinski movies coming. This John Krasinski, time. Ryan Reynolds have like combined their forces to For play you. to to Krasinski's directing it, um, and it's what if there was an imaginary friend? Like that's the if, right? It's um. Uh, Krasinski, I think, provides the voice of the imaginary friend. Ryan Reynolds is the dad to the kid who can see the imaginary friend. Eight bajillion people provide voices in this, including Steve Carell. Um, I have very little interest in seeing it, but it really looks like... Okay, the talent behind this... Like, it's, you know, Krasinski writing, directing, whatever, and producing. It's, you know, triple threat. Janusz Kaminski is doing the cinematography. Michael Giacchino is doing the score. Like, they're really, it seems oh, like it's Paramount. it's animated? I thought this was animated. It's parsh. no. It's like an- real-life oh, people. Oh, it's Roger like- Rabbit, Imaginary Friend. Yeah. Um, it. it seems like, it's you know, it's a May release. I think Paramount's really, like, putting their ass into this. So I think they really want it to be a big, big hit. And, you know, if it is, it's not like, you know, Carell as being one of the voices of you know, animated characters is going to, you know, it's not going to be like the Car- Steve Carell hit if, but uh, besides Despicable Me, that's the other thing that's on his radar right now. Despicable Me 4, uh, the return of Gru. What if Gru had a baby? I've never Even seen the Despicable Me. we've seen Gru as a parent from the beginning. I've only ever seen the first Despicable Me. Um... I'm not a Gru head. What would you call Gru Grunatics? I'm not a Grunatic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but good for him, I will say. Sure. Oh, he was also in that show, The Patient. Um, right. Which I kept right. wanting to watch because it's Dom. Uh, it's Dom Gleason. Oh, right. Yes, 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 yes. We're like, he's the shrink, and Dom Gleason is the psychopath who, like, um, kidnaps him or something, right? It was an Apple yes. TV. Was that was that was an Apple show, right? That's no FX on Hulu. Um, God, why did I not watch that? I should have. Maybe I will. Only ten episodes. Dom Gleason, um, and Linda Emond is in it as well. Shit. Well, now I really got to watch it. Um, people seem to like that show. Okay, I don't know if people like raved about Corral or anything like that, but like people seem to like that show. So, I think that was one of those shows that got like lost in the glut of. Remember how like. There were so many prestige streaming shows that one, in 2022. That one spring that yeah. they just decided to put all TV shows on at Yes, once. maybe that was then. Um, or anyway, all anyway, shows. Anyway. Um, all this to say, to all put this the to bow say, on the Corel conversation, yes. I feel like we've dogged on him a little bit, but this is still a performer I think of positively. I wish he would just... I wish... I hate... This sounds so fucking shitty of me as somebody who does not have talent but like i wish he would just do comedy and stop trying to be a dramatic actor i mean he's such a talented comedic actor, and it's just i don't know there's a fine line and so much of it pushes him past that line of what's within his range yeah yes which on, on some level is an admirable thing. He's challenging right. himself, right? We always ask for actors to challenge themselves. We don't really talk about so much as like we just assume that when actors challenge themselves, they'll succeed. 
sometimes they don't succeed. And maybe that's the, you know, that's the Steve Carell story is he's willing to challenge himself to a point where he won't always succeed. And Mm -hmm. maybe that should be a little bit more admired than shat upon by J-holes like me. All right, everybody, um, put down your meth. I don't know. Um, Joseph. Well, what else am I going to do? Like, stop talking to Maura Tierney? Quit making out with Caitlin Deaver, fully clothed in a shower. That's true. Quit doing that. Um, We're going to talk about the Vulture Movie Fantasy League. We are going to talk about the last time we talked to you about the, the Fantasy League. We were talking to you as the BAFTAs were just beginning. The BAFTAs have now uh, officially ended, and they were only interested in like four movies this year. <laughs> the, the BAFTAs <laughs> did not care to spread the wealth at all. It was essentially an Oppenheimer or Poor Things party with a little bit of extra love for the zone of interest and a little bit of extra love for the holdovers. And that was pretty much it. That was... Don't forget the adapted screenplay win for American fiction. That's true, which as that happened, you texted Katie and I, and you seemed to think that category was wrapped up. I think I agree with Katie, which is that like the absence of Barbie in the BAFTA category does present a wild card that... uh... But I had seen some other people express the same opinion, that like, well, American fiction's pretty much got it wrapped up now. I'm not sure... I kind of feel that it might, um, just because it seems like there is a lot of passion for American fiction. Yeah. Uh, like getting especially that score nomination. Also, Anatomy of a Fall won the original screenplay category. I do definitely think that's wrapped up. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall winning original? Yeah. You've been of this opinion for quite a while. I've been kind of dragging my feet on it. I uh, had thought that the holdovers had uh, a bit of a chance. I think I'm sort of coming around to your thing, especially because this is a way for them to give Justine Trier an Oscar. Mm-hmm. And it's and the not... movie, too, which is a very popular movie. Right, right. The two things that most people came out of uh, the BAFTAs talking about, though, well, the, the supporting categories do seem to be as locked up as we've had them for a while. I feel like this is feeling very, like, 2003, although better than 2003, but remember in 2003 how like Tim Robbins and and Renee Zellweger could not have been more certain for like that whole season. Season. There was just nothing budging them. And I feel like RDJ and DJR are uh, are locked and loaded to win their Oscars. And I'm fine with it. I'm good with it. I, you know... I've had my ups and downs with Robert Downey Jr. I'm enjoying him on this awards march. I think there are others in his category I would probably vote for ahead of him, like Mark Ruffalo. But it's a it's an incredibly interesting career. And I like the idea. I like having the little bit of ammunition for... All those people who were, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, all those people who were whining about how Robert Downey Jr. deserved essentially a a franchise-long Oscar for Avengers Endgame. And I was like, wait till he gives a performance that, you know, requires a little bit more. You know what I mean? If some of that sentiment was, you know, coming from a place of, when the Oscars honor someone's career, 
it tends to not be for the greatest performance or the greatest movie. I think uh, one thing that does make me like this inevitable Robert Downey Jr. win is like, this is going to be a good one, though. This, this is going to be, gonna a, good be in a, yeah. a good one for a good movie for a thing where he's sort of re- like rediscovering acting again. Like he's been upfront, I think, about the fact that he maybe not upfront, but like it, it has not been a secret that those last few years in the Marvel machine, Robert Downey Jr. was coasting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he's talked about how he sort of recharged his career with this role and this performance. So I'm very, very fine with him winning. Divine Joy Randolph is a delight. She was a delight in the Vanity Fair uh, videos that that came out with the cover, the, the Hollywood issue, the cover uh, of that. My- my confession of this season, uh, if I don't have another one, I've probably said many, but one of my confessions is the Holdovers team got me to listen to Marin. I was not. Yeah. I know Marin is monoculture, but like Davine Joy Randolph on Marin talking about throwing discus, I ascended. Like was, in school? Like she was on the yeah. track and field team? I did not yes. know that. She had to choose between sports and performing. Like singing and sports. Everyone go listen to Dave Angel Randolph on Marin. She's amazing. Um, the thing in the Vanity Fair videos when she's talking to Jenna Ortega about their first auditions, and she said, My first audition was for Broadway. And Jenna Ortega's like, What happened? She's like, I got it. Is she talking about Ghost? She's talking about Ghost. That's also wild in to her me. Baptist The thing that she got Tony like, nominated for. She's like, I feel that this feels very full circle because my first. Yeah, acting job was in London, and it was when yep. she took over the role in Ghost. Yeah, 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 amazing. But anyway, my main point before I got detoured by the supporting categories was now the big news seems to be we've got a race in each of the lead acting categories now. That it's that Killian Murphy winning Best Actor has p- basically put him and Giamatti neck and neck. And well, by the time you're listening to this, the SAG Awards will have happened, and. Mm. How, will they? Yeah, they're this weekend. Oh, okay. Why did I? Why do I keep thinking the SAG Awards are during the week? Anyway, keep going. Um, but anyway, um, so we'll know a lot more. I think by the time we get to that point, whoever wins the SAG will be the front runner. But I think there is still reason to feel like this is a race, especially if Giamatti wins the SAG, and then Murphy has won the BAFTA. Like, there's there's some real competition there i do think giamatti is winning sag just as the american performer who you know i think they is might sag, be more has sag shown an american bias over the years uh, well i mean it's an american group it's you know sag after includes american tiktok well so's we the so's the oscars more or less and you know true um that one, I think there there's more things that could happen. I do think if the BAFTA lead winners repeat, then it's probably no longer a race, and it's probably You think over. it's all over? All right, interesting. Probably. I wouldn't see Paul Giamatti only winning Globe and Critics' Choice and still winning an Oscar. I could. I could. I think there's, I think there's enough X factors in there. But the thing that I was sort of thinking of, as I've, because now, <laughs> after the Critics' Choice and the Globes and Giamatti sort of being incredibly charming over this award season, I'm so on board for him to win. And now it's like, yes. oh, Killian Murphy might win for Oppenheimer. And I'm like, wait a second. When I saw Oppenheimer, I was like, 
it'll never happen, but Killian Murphy gets the performance <laughs> of the year. He should win the Oscar for it. And so it's so funny the way that like award season does kind of warp your brain a little bit. And you have to kind of check yourself. I'm like, wait a second. Killian Murphy, of all people, winning the Academy Award for Best Actor for playing a right. an emotionally reserved, very sort of like heady. Dandy. Like this, what what an incredible thing to have happened! Right, and right. Oppenheimer is my favorite movie of the year. So, like, what am I complaining about? I shouldn't complain about anything. Um, and I won't now that I've thought about it for half a second. But like, I will have some sadness if Paul Giamatti doesn't win the Oscar because I really do want him to have that moment. And Best Actress, Emma Stone has got the the momentum, as Girls Five Eva might say. She's got momentum. Yeah, um, it's her moment. And <laughs> I think I put her ahead of Lily Gladstone at this point, even though, again, when I walked out of Killers of the Flower Moon, I said, Lily Gladstone has got that Oscar wrapped up. So, like... Right. I don't... I, I mean, this, I feel like, is more of the... Uh, is more of a race, but, I mean, if... If Emma Stone wins SAG, I, I think it could be really really sealed up i think that's that i'm definitely more inclined to say if emma stone wins sag i i would be i would easily put lily in the underdog position at that point right right and it it, it, i'll be so bummed if she doesn't win but like it is does seem to be a thing of scorsese movies winning or losing momentum throughout the season and i think it's because as as revered as he is, there is an underestimated thing about Scorsese. Well, they're like because everybody's like, well, he's Scorsese. He has everything already, and it right. affects everyone else involved with the movies. It's you know, like, Leo not getting the best actor nomination. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there does seem to be a current of backlash brewing among online folks in our circle, I don't know how far that extends, towards the possibility of Emma Stone winning her second Oscar over Lily Gladstone because Lily's got such a powerful sort of story and narrative about, you know, how often are actresses from her background going to get that opportunity or have you know what i mean the historical Mm -hmm. imbalances and all of that beyond the fact that she gives a great performance now i also think emma stone gets a stunning performance i don't think either one of them winning is is um obvious from a talent or performance standpoint i think either one of them could win and i'd be like yeah they deserve it i think anybody nominated in best actress this year well not in that um no, thank you it. i was gonna be like excuse me sir <laughs> i forgot i forgot i forgot i forgot but like you know sandra huller wins you right. know uh then then yes i think um, everybody who was saying everybody at this time of the year everybody always wants to be like actually a vote split could happen it's like the adrian i am that person usually i'm usually rotted people's brains to think that this is a likely possible thing to happen and everyone was saying that there would be a sandra huller win based off of a vote split that really made no sense but i think her not winning bafta kind of put that to bed you thought this was sandra huller's best chance to win uh yes yes yeah 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 yeah, that makes sense. But anyway, so um, 
Oppenheimer's BAFTA win in this whole definitely moment. loved Poor Things more than Oscar is going to love Poor Things. I think. Well, Oscar nominated Poor Things a lot, <laughs> though. You know what I but mean? But is like, it going to win five Oscars? I don't think so. Probably not five, but like the fact that it won all of we've <laughs> you and I. All right, grain of salt, everybody. This is more facetious than it sounds, but I'm just going to say, I've had this thing with Chris where I talk about the boy techs and the girl techs um, in the craft categories and how there are these sort uh, these craft categories like cinematography and editing and sound that tend We've to go to these- We've talked about this on mic before. Have we? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll repeat myself. Yeah. These sort of but- big, muscular, male director movies, and then the movies that win costume and makeup and production design are like- Girls can have, like, movies about girls can win those awards. And this year at the BAFTAs, it was the most stark thing I'd ever seen in my life. Because on the Wikipedia page, <laughs> they're lined up side by side, and it's like, one column is all the Oppenheimers, and the However, other column is all the Poor Things. Poor Things did win visual effects at BAFTA, which it is not nominated for at the Oscars. I always think, and visual effects is 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 unbound by all of that. I always feel like visual effects doesn't pertain to any of my arguments about craft categories i don't know why i say that but i do but anyway um it's gonna be interesting to see what does win that oscar though visual effects yes what would you say if you had to bet right now i mean i feel like if i'm placing my bet i'm putting it towards like giving giving a little you know goodwill and good luck into the ethos and i would put the money down on godzilla minus one i would love it of course um, I don't know if it's going to. Part of me is just like, I'll give it to Napoleon. Guardians you know of the I mean? Galaxy is not going to win. Marvel has never won the visual effects category. Right. It could be the creator, but it feels like no one saw that movie. I think the no creator would be movie. a perfectly worthy winner. I agree. I think the visual effects in that movie are very good. Um, Napoleon. I haven't seen Society a... of the Snow yet, so I don't know what the visual effects are like in that movie. Is it nominated for visual effects? Isn't it? I don't believe. Hold on. There's, um... What was the one I was just gonna say? Sorry. It's okay. Yeah, you're right. It's Mission Impossible. Right. Mission Impossible... Doesn't really feel like it's going to win that... And I, yeah. then you also have Napoleon, which had like a camp. It's the one of the few movies that had like a real campaign in Best Picture that mm-hmm. feels like be- there's a lot of foundation there for a win in that category. It's the one of that of category that. that has the most total nominations. It's got three. All the other ones have yeah one or two. Creator has two, right? Yes. So does Mission Impossible. <clears throat> But uh, are they going to give it to Napoleon? Is that where like they would place a Napoleon vote? I don't. I don't know. Give it to the exploding horses. Why not? Why not? But no, I, vote for Godzilla. I, minus I would one. be an advocate for it. giving it for Godzilla. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, we should bring this around to the fantasy league, though, because with the latest score update, as I put in the uh, newsletter, if you subscribe to the newsletter. The Oppenheimer rosters are now within striking distance. They are within the sort of um, margin of error where uh, the there are five 
movies that contain Oppenheimer that are within, I think I said 350 points of the leaders. Um, just as a thought experiment, I went through, and if Oppenheimer wins the same awards at the Oscars that it won at BAFTA, it would pick up 475 points. So, like, that's it's it's you know well within the margin, even if it you know uh, loses some points to other movies. So, with that said, I you know taking a look at what some of those Oppenheimer rosters are. It's going to depend. It's going to depend on movies like Does Twenty Days in Mariupol Hold On and Win the Documentary Oscar? That would help one of the Oppenheimer rosters. None of those top Oppenheimer rosters have the holdovers. That's something that that like seven way tie mm-hmm. logjam at the top. They have the holdovers, and so that would help them out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is going to come down to a real like maybe last minute kind of a thing. I don't know. I can't What's quite not forecast going it. going to is Katie Rich overtaking me in the podcast. Uh, it's going to happen with the next update. I imagine. It, exactly. exactly. Yeah. She's seven points behind you right now. And I am. 150, 160 points behind you. I get think. out of our race, Joe Reed. Listen, I'm on my way. What's what is what do I have that's gonna uh, push me besides Oppenheimer? I got to have something else. Maybe I don't. You don't have something. Else. I can't beat Katie. That would be in the shocking scenario where Perfect Days would win international. Well, then that's it. That's what I got to hope for. Um, I, even if I think that happens, I think I can't. Um, so anyway. Katie's gonna at least beat me. So Katie's got the front, uh, got the got the driver's seat to win this whole thing. Um should be interesting. But um what I what I did notice though is if you look back and you look at the way the leaderboard exists right now, you've got a seven-way tie followed by a three-way tie for that would be eighth place followed by a two-way tie for 11th, followed by another two-way tie for 13th. So what I'm saying is, go back and check your confirmation emails from when you signed up for the league and see what you answered to our tiebreaker questions, because I have a feeling they may end up being pertinent. Your the tiebreaker Joe, questions... Joe, what are those tiebreaker questions? So glad you asked. Uh, I definitely didn't have to go back and look them up because I definitely didn't forget what they were. Um, they were three, you had to answer us these questions three, like the bridge trolls that we are. Um, how many mentions of Barbie will occur across the entire Oscar ceremony? So not including pre-show, but like, uh, from when the, the ceremony starts proper to the very end, how many times will anybody say the word Barbie on mic? Um, uh, I answered 11 on a low ball. Um, I, t- I decided to be conservative. That was sort of my version of saying $1 for uh prices right rules even though this is not prices right rules i think it's clo- it's closest no matter what um what did you answer i did not account for oh yeah they're going to say the title of the movie when there's a nomination listed and i said 7 barbie has more nominations than 7 so i will not be winning that they'll also say like from barbie Margot Robbie, when Margot Robbie comes out to uh, for the, singing the song from Barbie, uh, Billie Eilish. So there'll be a lot of that. I also lowballed on that. I think I'm going to be way, way low. I think you're going to look at an answer 
probably in the 20s, maybe high 20s, something like that. Second question, how many people will be commemorated in the In Memoriam? Was I a psycho and did I go back and watch old In Memoriams and count up how many uh, were uh, in the uh, old ones to get a ballpark figure? And wasn't sort there of there a recent year where people were like, they didn't have enough people in there. Yeah, I definitely the remember that. People complained that they did a Well, real they always work. miss somebody. It's so funny to me. Every year they miss at least a handful of people. How is that not the easiest thing possible to just like put one employee on there and it's like your job is to like triple quadruple check that we haven't missed my, anybody major? My question about this is like do they just go through membership rosters? Like people were complaining If about, they do I we who know it was it. and I was like I bet they weren't an Academy member, and that's how that happened. No, because they, they, they honor way more than just Academy members. And I think if that was the case, we'd know it by now. Like, somebody but, would like, have said that. Has that. To be the, that has to be the foundation for it, right? Listeners, like if, it, you, if you like know when anything it started? in regards to this, get at us. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's just people who, in the, in the film industry, I don't know. Uh, but every year, anyway, I said 58. What did you say? I said 33. You said 33. We'll see who's right. Uh, and then finally, which award category's winner will have the longest speech? So uh, if you think that this is sort of a nice little two, two-tiered thing where it asks you to try and think of who you think will win that category that year, and then um, whether they are a long speech giver or a short speech. Can you imagine if you were like tied for the lead in the in the thing in the in the fantasy league and you guessed like best supporting actor and then you get a Joe Pesci speech uh to start and you're just like god damn it and you just have to <laughs> throw tomatoes at the screen. I said best actress just on the on like that's that's, that's playing smart that darts. Works. That's as far as I mean you just mean like the the lead actress is going to and go on and on and on. I feel I said best supporting actor being like, oh, it's Robert Downey Jr. He's gonna get the career Oscar this year. It's yeah. gonna be a moment. Not realizing that's not necessarily Robert Downey Jr.'s MO. He'll go up there, start it with a joke, name jokingly a bunch of people that he worked with on the movie, people he's worked with a long time, his wife, and tell another joke and probably leave. But I don't I don't think that will be the winning category. For I think you have a better chance than I do if it's like Emma Stone winning her second. I don't think Emma Stone on Oscar number two is going to be all that long-winded. Whereas I think I could see Robert Downey Jr. basking in his moment, a la like a Julia Roberts kind of a thing, and really hamming it up and, you know, talking to people in the audience and making jokes about Christopher Nolan and, you know... Yeah. You know, cracking a, I mean, a joke at Mark Ruffalo. Be in one of these top categories, though, because like they open the Shark Tanks yes. on the craft category. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they're yeah, yeah. not allowed to go. You'd be foolish to say documentary short because like those people barely get ten seconds before they're like, get them off of the stage. Nobody wants to see that. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, what else is to be said? about the Fantasy League. By the time you're listening to this, the Independent Spirit Awards and the SAG Awards will have happened. So it's just the Oscars left to go. So um, check those scores and see where you're at. See where you're at in your own little league. Uh, Gary's, you continue to make us proud. And 
We've been talking for 25 minutes, so I think we're going to kick it back to our old friends. Beautiful boy. All the beautiful boys in the world. We're going to be talking about him for the rest of this episode. Bye. All right. Would you like a palate cleanser, Chris? Uh, Yes, please. Because I have come at us with a game for Beautiful Boy. Um, This is a new one. We haven't done this before. But one of the things that, because Beautiful Boy and Boy Erased happened at the same um, festival as First Man, I think we all got into the habit of our... Beautiful Boy is back. Our, well, and Ben is back too, right? Ben, beautiful, beautiful boy, boy erased. Boy erased ben is back. We're at the same festival as First Man, where Claire Foy gave my favorite line reading of her entire career. All these protocols and procedures to make it seem like you have it under control, but you're a bunch of boys making models out of balsa wood. You don't have anything under control. As the like spittle comes unavoidably towards the camera, um, with I think- all those. Viewers who saw First Man in 4DX were soaked. (laughs) That better have been part of the 4DX experience, is Claire Foy spitting on you when she says, bunch of boys, you're a bunch of boys. Um, So anyway, I decided to make a game for you, for Beautiful Boy, uh, called A Bunch of Boys Making Movies Out of Balsa Wood. So this is Ah. uh, a mashup game. So every answer will take the form of a mashup title of three movies mashed up into one and i'm going to ask you to sort of play along and try and like mash them up as you know uh don't just give me three movie titles i want you to like play the game of mashing them up what i will give you to start is the the prompts will take the form of you'll get an actor a year slash genre and a writer or or a director or sometimes writer so uh, we'll go through the example slowly but I'll essentially say X actor stars in a drama from 1902 directed by Mary Pickford, right? You know what I mean? And then if you will then synthesize those three titles into one sort of like mashup title. If you want a hint, I will give you then the stars of the other two movies. Got it. Do you know what I mean? So we'll walk through this first one slowly. And then once once we do it, you'll understand. So the first question is, Lucas Hedges stars in a 1995 comedy directed by Michael Bay. So... All of these titles that we're mashing up have boy in them. That's the thing I should have probably said at the beginning. So okay, that's so the game. everything has boy. Everything has boy. Okay, so Boy or Boy Erased, I'm guessing, for Lukey. Mm-hmm. Comedy from 95 with Boy in the title. Directed by Michael Bay is Bad Boys. Bad Boys Erased. Mm. Would you like the hint? The 95 comedy, I feel like I might be able to get with boys in the title you're not talking about boys on the side are you bad boys erased on the side incorrect would you like your hint yes your hint is that it also stars martin lawrence and chris farley oh bad tommy boys erased bad tommy boy erased yes very good Bad tommy boy erased. so you now you get now you get the game okay so yes. all right 
Next question. That Midler in a 2001 dark comedy directed by John Singleton. Uh, it's for the boys, boys in the hood. Dark 2001 comedy is the dangerous lives of altar boys. That's a very good guess, but that is not correct. All right. Your hint is I'll do this. If when you give a wrong answer, it'll, that'll trigger the hint. Okay. It'll sure. help move it along. Hint is also starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Cuba Gooding Jr. Boo. From 2001. It's not Donnie Darko, obviously. Bubble Boy. So, <laughs> for the Bubble Boy from the hood? For the Bubble Boys in the boys hood. Yes. In the hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Very good. Good job. By the way, would watch Bette Midler in a 2001 dark comedy directed by John Singleton. May he rest. One million percent. That's Question... just drowning Mona. <laughs> Question number three. Noah Centineo stars in a 2023 sports drama written by Neil Simon. Uh, Sunshine Boys is Neil Simon. 2023 drama, you said? 2023 sports drama. Sports drama. Boys in the Boat. I have to confess that I don't know a damn thing Noah Centineo is in. Well, the hint's not going to help you because that's you. The hint is just going right, to give you right. the other two so actors. Boys in the Boat uh, and Sun- the Sunshine Boys in the Boat. It was a Netflix movie. Oh, for all the boys I loved before. Synthesize it. For all the sunshine boys in the boat I loved before. It's to all the sunshine boys in the boat I've loved before, there but yes. Go. Yes. Very good. Very good. Uh, next one. Jeff Bridges in a 2015 erotic thriller directed by Neil Jordan. Um, A 20 what erotic thriller? 2015 erotic thriller. Mm. Wow, this one's hard. Neil Jordan was the the Winslow boy. David Mamet is, win- is the Winslow boy. But okay. you're you're it's, on the right uh, the, track. The the not the baker uh ooh. Put not one. the baker, but like you're out like go to your nursery. The butcher run. boy. There you go. Yeah. The butcher boy. Um 2015 erotic thriller. There were so few of those. Um and uh, Jeff Bridges. What was it? Jeff Bridges is Fabulous Baker Boys. So the Fabulous Butcher Boys. Does the erotic thriller start with boy? Yes. Uh, boy, you know exactly what you did on my phone? <laughs> Would you like the hint? Yes. Uh, Ryan Guzman and Iman Owens. Eamon Owens is Butcher Boy, so your your hint is Ryan Guzman. Who plays the titular boy? There's a bigger star in that movie. Mm. Who's got a movie out this weekend, though not in theaters. Oh, it's... mm, Dakota. Oh, out this weekend, not in theaters. Not in theaters. But it's definitely Ooh. making the social media rounds in clip form. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, 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 oh. I wouldn't have categorized this as an erotic thriller. but I wouldn't well either, done. but that's what it said when I looked it up. So Well done. It is The Fabulous Butcher Boys Next Door. The Fabulous Butcher Boy Next Door. Very good. Yes. Yeah. 
Uh, Jennifer Lopez, this is me now. I cannot wait to watch that. Cannot First wait. edition of the Iliad. Yep, we exactly. You. Yes. All right. Next question. <laughs> the don't you love this game? Don't you already love this game? The fabulous Every Butcher time Boy. Every I remember door, first on. edition of the Iliad, I just I can't help but giggle. It's, it's great. so stupid and funny. All right. Question five. Kiefer Sutherland in a 2022 animated short film directed by Tony Scott. Um. Tony Scott was. Did Tony Scott do one of the bad boys? I don't think so. He didn't. Um, 2022 animated short film was, I'm assuming it's one of the Oscar nominees. Um, I just forget what they are. Um, what well, was the first piece? Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland, which is, um, no, I was thinking of Young Guns. Um, hmm. This one's hard. It is hard. Uh, I'll take some hints. Okay, so your hints are also starring Bruce Willis and Jude Coward Nickel. Okay. So... The Bruce Willis one... Oh, it's The Last Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Scott's The Last Boy Scout. You definitely remember the 2022 animated short film. You've just kind of memory hold it. But remember, probably we had a vested interest in that category last year. Right, because that was my year of dicks with Pam. So why were we so mad about how that category shook out? Oh, because it's the boy and the, the last boy and the unicorn and the platitude and the bullshit all right so what's the key for uh think 80s think oh 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 um um shit uh why is it speaking of memory hole it's right there joel schumacher vampire movie Um, yeah 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 has a peter lost boys there you go sorry i should have had that way sooner the last lost boy scout and the unicorn and the platitude and the bullshit. All right. Yes. As I wrote it, the lost boy scout, the mole, the fox and the horse. There we go. All right. You're not giving me enough credit for going off in this game. I'm just that 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 was maybe the hardest question you have ever given. Thank you. Uh, Jacob Tremblay, in a 1998 sports comedy directed by Franklin J. Schaffner. Uh, Jacob Tremblay is... Obviously, there's room. There's wonder. There is... Not a Star Wars movie, because they never let that child have the Star Wars movie that he wanted. Uh, this was a movie that I don't think you saw, but I think it made a decent amount of money. I could be wrong. This is also Doctor Sleep, where he has a cameo that he shows up to only oh. be savagely murdered. Not a little uh, more, a little more than a cameo, I would say. But yeah, that is uh, unsettling. Yeah. Um, um, no, this was a the Tremblay thing is a comedy. Um. I think it had a red band trailer. Oh, Good Boys. There you go. Good Boys. 
1998 Sports, you said? Sports comedy. Directed by Franklin J. Schaffner. Would you like a hint? I would like hints, yes. Also starring Gregory Peck and Adam Sandler. Waterboy. Yeah. Um, Gregory Peck movie with boys in the title. Omen, the worst boy. Um, I'm not sure you've seen this movie. I haven't either, but it's been high on my list of movies I've wanted to see for a while. Yeah, maybe I haven't. Also starring Lawrence Olivier. I actually don't think I've seen any Gregory Peck movies, which... Also starring Lawrence Olivier, I believe. Has a country in the title. The country boys. The the boy from a country. Yeah. The boy from... Lawrence Lawrence Olivier, Gregory Peck. Yeah, I should probably. It's about Nazis. The boy from Germany. The boys from Brazil. The boys from Brazil. Oh yes, I know that title. The good water boys from Brazil is what I have. The good water boys from Brazil. Great. All right. Next one. Uh, Lucas Haas in a 2023 animated feature written by Shia LaBeouf. Okay. Uh, The Shia LaBeouf is Honey Boy. What was the middle thing again? 2023 animated feature. Got it. So last year with boys in the title. Obviously not an Oscar. Oh, the boy and the heron. They, okay. And Lucas Haas. Uh, not Witness. The Amish boy. Uh, Witness alternate title, The Amish boy. <laughs> the Amish witness colon the amish (laughs) the witness cinematic universe which honestly would have absolutely popped off um lucas haas okay so the hint's not going to help you because uh you get you already got your lucas haas is the second lead of this movie the lead of this movie is an actress who was huge in the 90s this was sort of one of her mid 90s movies this was not a hit um, but it's definitely a movie you know of by title. It's also like the most basic title given what our game is. <laughs> the boy? <laughs> no, but like work work around that uh Brahms the boy. Not Brahms um, the boy. I really Brahms tried to too. do Brahms the boy in this and I and I couldn't make it fit. <laughs> um, Katie Holmes. Is Katie Holmes. That's true. But so but I tried uh, to make w- the actors the ones who played one of the titular boys. The boy. Yeah. Right. Um, so my movies were The Boy and the Heron and... Honey uh, Boy. Honey Boy. The Honey Your Boy. Your hint would have been also starring Noah Jupe and Soma Santoki. Yes. Lucas um, Haas, mid-90s. I don't know if you... Maybe you don't remember this movie. He's in a movie called Boys. With Winona Ryder. Oh, right. I, I wouldn't have known that he was yeah. in that movie. Yeah. So, The Honey Boys and the Heron. The Honey Boys and the Heron, exactly. All right, question eight. Nicholas Holt in a 2006 British comedy drama directed by William Friedkin. About a boy, the boys in the band. What was the middle one again? 2006 British comedy drama. Hmm. That not also about a boy? That's 2000. It is, but yeah, different year the history boys so about uh what did we say the last one was directed by william friedkin 
Oh, about a history boy in the band. About the history boys in the band. Yes, very good. Yeah. All right, final question. Question nine. Matthew McConaughey in a 2018 crime drama directed by Richard Linklater. Richard Linklater is boyhood. Matthew McConaughey is, um, oh gosh, what's that Richard Linklater uh, Western? Um, I guess that's two Richard Linklaters. The Sunshine? No, it's not the Sunshine Boys. It's, Oh, the Newton boys. Is he not in that? Yes. He, he is. Okay. So the Newton boyhood and 2009 crime, 2018, drama. 2018 crime drama. Oh, 2018 crime drama is the boys in the court. The Would you like a hint? Yes. Matthew McConaughey and Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> what was his 2018 crime drama? That's the Lincoln Lawyer. Well, no, it's the Lincoln Lawyers before that. It's. What was that man up to in the courtroom? This was another um, TIFF movie that I don't think either one of us saw. 2018. Yeah. So the same TIFF yeah. that we're talking about. I will also say, I didn't have Boyhood, but you're totally correct, so I can't ding you for that. So there's a fourth, <laughs> there's a secret fourth movie out there as well. Um, I believe it. Um, so Matthew McConaughey, 2018 TIFF courtroom movie with boy, not courtroom crime, not court crime. Oh, crime. Oh, that is um, White Boy Rick. So. <laughs> the Newton White Boyhood Rick. Yes, so I didn't have Boyhood. What I had was White Newton Boy Rick on the side because he's Got also it. in Boys on the Side. Tortured, yes. Convoluted, yes. That's fun. what I came up with. Yes. Okay, I'm glad. I hope you had fun because it seemed Listeners like you were come here for demented games. So I like I'm glad you could deliver it even for uh Beautiful boy erased his back. There's so many movies with boy in the title, you guys. You don't even know. Um, <laughs> Dogtown and the Z Boys. I should have done Brahms the Boy too, and just like bit the bullet and said like whatever, like year horror movie. I should have. God damn it. Um, so mad. All right. Anyway, back to we should have our Timmy conversation now. Yes. Uh, I think by nature of this coming off of his, this being his follow-up to his direct follow-up success yes in 2017 uh instantly kind of puts this movie on an oscar map what's wild is he shot this basically right after uh call me by your name premieres at sundance mm-hmm. um I even like went into his filmography because he has this huge 2017. Obviously, yeah. Where does Lady Bird come in terms of filming uh, that? Lady Bird was filmed in, I believe, August of 2016. Okay. So after by, he films, Call Me by, by Your Name was already filmed. Yeah. At some point, he's filming the Scott Cooper film Hostile, which I've never seen. I mean, we could do an episode on it. It would. 
you know, I mean, we're making a fun episode out of this in this movie's Bummer Town. So, like, of the of the Scott Cooper movies we could do, I'd rather do that than Black Mass. So, there's that. Or out of the furnace. Out, of, out the of the furnace is actually a movie. I hate I it out of the furnace. On. Oh, I hate it out of the furnace so much. It, I mean, it's it's so Ugh. like oppressively bleak, but I do think there's positive things about that movie. I would vote for hostels, but that's maybe it's just because I want to watch a movie. I'd rather watch a movie with Timmy in it than than watch Out of the Furnace or Black Pike, Mass again. Mike West Duty, and it's a movie I've never seen before, so I wouldn't be rewatching a movie that I already know I don't like. Um, right, sure. That's sometimes how these things go. Yes, exactly. All right, but yes. So uh, previous to Call Me by Your Name, he's in a brief arc on Homeland on Showtime. He's in Men, Women, and Children, a movie we've covered on this, although doesn't really get, uh, if anybody, it's Ansel Elgort who gets, and, and Caitlin Deaver, who get, you know, the shine off of that movie, because Timmy's just the guy who gets punched in the cafeteria. Um, <laughs> he's young Casey Affleck in Interstellar, which is hilariously bad casting, because I would have never, like, um, uh, but he's, you know. I just re- recently rewatched Interstellar. Favorite Nolan. Favorite Nolan. It's, it's not my favorite Nolan, but it's like, it's a fucking amazing movie. Like, Would favorite not Nolan's have a high guessed it from me. my initial reaction to that movie. Yeah, I always... Point, favorite Nolan. I always assumed you were a, were an Interstellar, Interstellar, very divisive movie when it came out. Um, if I love you that movie. don't like Interstellar, go revisit Interstellar. It's and I, I guarantee so good. people it's that so good. there will be one thing that they come away with more positively than they did on their first watch. At least, yeah. Um, he's in a movie called The Adderall Diaries that feels very much like wants to be, um, like the the Basketball Diaries for a new generation. I've never seen it. It's a James Franco movie. Um, he's in a little film called Love the Coopers, my friend. Ooh, baby. Who Ooh, baby? Tell us a little bit about now that you've seen Love the Coopers famously. Tell us a little bit about Charlie I... Cooper, the character he plays in Love the Coopers. All thanks to. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was friend and former guest Matt Jacobs who wrote about Love the Coopers this year. I think that's right. I hope right. I'm not wrong. Yeah. But um, genuinely the most batshit Christmas movie <laughs> I have ever seen. And I know that that is saying a that's lot. That's a high like, bar, it's, yeah. It's not even the evil tethered to the family stone. It's like the evil tethered of Love Actually. Like... It is. Um, it's Actually. kind of American love, actually, in that every single one of its stories is absolutely ludicrous and maybe <laughs> a little evil. What's his story? Who's he? Who is he? he he's one of the young and he's like one of the young kids. Does he rap in that? I forget if he raps. Or oh, not. No. like, honestly, the Timothy Chalamet stuff is the, the, the least wild does he have like all. a love story is that like a, is he, he, he has a crush on molly gordon and he's like trying to figure out how to go flirt with molly gordon nice. at her job at the mall nice classic listeners stuff. just just mark it on your calendar for like november 30th this year if you haven't seen love the coopers you're gonna go watch love the Coopers. i'm gonna do it because there is there is such unexpected insanity in this movie that i really wouldn't want to spoil it for anyone okay and especially the olivia wilde jake lacy stuff which is just 
I believe this was a one and a half star movie that you were like, see this movie immediately. Like that. It was the... one. It was one and a half star in a heart. Yeah, it was. That's <laughs> that's the vibe. <laughs> uh, it, the Marissa Tomei, Anthony Mackie stuff is <laughs> crazy. Uh, <laughs> um, the it, 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 it's also like every single one of these plots is enough for one movie, and mm-hmm. there are maybe. 12 11 plots happening simultaneously in this I love movie. It. there are 11 separate stories it's like magnolia but one family at christmas <laughs> and also there may be all bad pe- not all bad people yeah because like june squibb's there and june squibb is like always saintly yeah always, well, always. of the divine um so Moving on, if we have to, because we yes, probably okay. have to. Moving past Love the Coopers, go watch Love the Coopers. The first thing that I ever really made note of, even though I definitely saw him on Homeland, but I did not really make much note of him, uh, was a indie dramedy directed by Julia Hart called Miss Stevens that had starred. He's so good. In Lily Rabe. The reason why I watched this movie is like, oh, I'll watch a Lily Rabe uh, movie. It was a South by Southwest mm-hmm. premiere. Same. She's a teacher. She chaperones this like group of like gifted students to a gifted student competition, whatever is it debate? I can't remember. Um, it's something. And uh, it's what's her name from uh, Hustlers, Lily Reinhardt, um, someone else. And then Timothy Chalamet plays the sort of, um, oh, it's a, it's a, it's an acting, right? He does a monologue. He yeah, does yeah, a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, of course. Performance. Um, that's right. It's a, they're doing monologues from from a, a place, and he is sort of he's not like troubled, but he's like sort of like he's he's cocky and he's difficult and he's you know clearly incredibly talented and he's chal- he sort of challenges uh, the Miss Stevens character and he's so. Like, within just the span of this little, like, 80-minute indie movie, I was immediately like, I am on board with this kid for whatever he wants to do after this. Like, (laughs) I was so into this performance. He's so incredibly, like, effective and electric and, like, completely, like, owns every scene that he's in in this movie. You've and seen then it. a few months later, yeah. Call me by your name. So then, all of a sudden, I'm like previewing the the like Sundance slate. I'm not going to Sundance, but I'm like sort of like picking through everything. I had never read nor really heard of this book, Call Me by Your Name, but I'm sort of picking through it, uh, the lineup, and I'm like, oh, Luca Guadagnino new movie. That's interesting. And by that point, I had only had, um, uh, what's the Ray Fiennes Tilda Swinton movie? A bigger splash. Had that already happened by then? Yes. Okay. My favorite so by that point, Luca was like one for two for me, because I really didn't care for I Am Love, but I loved Bigger Splash. And so I'm like, oh, okay, Luca, this is interesting. And I'm like reading the cast list, and I'm like, Timothy Chalamet, I know him from uh, Miss Stevens. I think he's great. And then I read the plot description, and I immediately texted uh, our friend Richard Lawson, who I knew was going to Sundance. And I'm like... This Luca Guadagnino movie sounds really interesting. And he's like, ah, yeah. Like, and Richard, of course, like, knows about the book and like, just like, you know, so we sort of like enthused about it on the um, text for like an hour or whatever. Um, and then it became like smash hit of that Sundance. Expectations went through the roof. 
all of a sudden, it was like from January until September when uh, Toronto happened. It's just months and months of, I think this movie, one of the problems with Call Me By Your Name was, and it wasn't a problem with the movie, was it went through the entire churn of the cultural conversation before Before 90% of people saw it. Like the vast, vast, vast majority hadn't seen it. Like not the usual, it's usual, the cultural churn usually happens with the majority of the people talking about the movie, not having seen the movie. That happens for movies that are in wide release. You know what I mean? But like for a movie like Call Me By Your Name that only the people who were at Sundance had seen. And so all of a sudden it's like six months of conversation or more before anybody else had seen the movie. And it's like, by the time, and then Sony Pictures Classics slow rolls the release, and it's like, this movie lived eight lifetimes, including, like, annoying-ass... audiences got to see it. Annoying-ass cycles about, like, you know, uh, does it show enough explicit, you know, sex scenes? Is this a movie that, is there, is the age gap problematic? Is the, like, you know, eight billion different, like, you know, think Let's pieces find other and, ways and, to... and hot takes and whatnot? Before anybody had seen the movie, it's a miracle. To the point where it's like, we keep, we've heard since January, especially, you know, some of us who had seen like the other movies, like knew about this performer, but like the second it premieres at Sundance, there's constant talk of be excited for this young actor. Hot new thing. To the point where everybody who's anticipating this performance everybody talks about sees him first in Lady Bird. Right. Where right. he has a supporting role that he's and thank God he at. fucking rules in Lady Bird. He's so goddamn good in that movie. Not a bad performance. I mean, like it's not even not a bad performance in that movie. There's like not a not perfect performance. Everybody is in great that in that movie. movie, but like he especially just nails that character so perfectly. So funny. He's, he's so funny. So every little line reading is so funny. I still think of the way. She tries to pronounce his band's name. I, I like your band. Uh, with Jonah Ruiz, Len Fansnew. Len Fansnew. Uh, well, I, I saw your Thanksgiving show. My name's Ladybird. It's weird you shake hands. Yeah. I'm friends with Jenna, and she's always talking about how great your band is, so I wanted to check it out. Yeah, Jenna's all tight. Yeah. And the way he Love corrects her and says La France New is so like <laughs> fucking smug, but also like faux humble and oh he's perfect. He's also just perfect. the shitty teenager thing of like, I haven't lied for two and a half years. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. Like, yes, uh-huh. you're keeping track of your the uh-huh. lie. You it's told. great. It's so good. It's so good. Um at the the other thing I want to say about like Sundance uh 2017, that's also the Sundance that Get Out premieres, but Get Out had the good sense to then open in February. So that movie then had all this conversation based on, you know, people actually were able to see it. And so um, Get Out gets... Wait, Call Me By Your Name got the Best Picture nomination, but, like, only that and Timmy and Screenplay, and that was it, right? Yes. So, like, Get Out... I think maybe there was a fourth nomination. Keep talking. But anyway, I think Get Out becomes a much more pervasive cultural object for like very deserved reasons obviously um and then call me by your name is niche but then it's still able to launch timmy as 
this like major new star. And part of that is Hollywood has never met a cute young white kid that it didn't want to commodify. Like that is absolutely true. You know what I mean? Like, um, but at this next stage, I think for him, he very successful, successfully transitions into a major movie star. 100%. Absolutely. Like he's made really good career choices, which is funny because I think for a while there, he had the reputation of not doing that. And I'm not sure where that exactly came from. Maybe it's just that people didn't like beautiful boy. And then he makes the, uh, you know, um, memory hold Woody Allen movie and rainy day in New York. So there was that stuff. Um, and then the King, the David Michonne movie, the King, that was a Netflix movie that didn't get publicized very much. Nobody watched it. And the critics who did watch it didn't like it very much. So like, boom, boom, boom. And if they did like it, they liked, Pattinson much more than they liked Chalamet. So it felt like there's a wide range of of perspectives on that Pattinson performance at that. Sure. (laughs) But I think if you saw them enthused about there was a lot of here's Pattinson. If you saw anyone saying anything, he's he's taking again, taking chances, you know what I mean? And um but then to start again. But then at the end of 2019. He's back with Greta Gerwig in Little Women, a, mo- a performance I think he absolutely should have gotten nominated for the Oscar for. Um, I think he's tremendously good as Laurie in Little Women. Where do you come down on that? Oh, I think he's amazing. I mean, I normally hate Laurie so sure, much. Sure, of course. He's in, a hateable like, character. Reading that book, previous versions of the movie, I don't like Laurie, and he made me like Laurie, which just felt like this Herculean yes. achievement yes. to me. Yeah, yeah. What a great that adaptation. I don't absolutely we, despise. That's that. a movie that got nominated for Oscar and got not like, you know, Florence Pugh and all that stuff. And it still feels like I still want to be like, we have not given that movie its due because we kind of haven't. It's so it's it's good past the point of what people admitted. You know what I mean? It, it's right. It's all the glory that that movie got. It's better than that, I think. It had a we- it had such a weird life too because that movie was ready for that year's can. And Can apparently wanted the movie, and they held it back. And interesting, yeah, kind of. I don't, I don't see that as a movie that gets a warm reception at Can. No, I think so, I, like, I think I holding think it back from Can is a good, the is a right good idea. choice. Yeah, why would you? Why would you take that type? Even mm-hmm. the type of creative risks that that movie does with the source material why would you take a movie yeah that kind of source material yeah an american production yeah to can like it's just not going to be the warmest place for that yeah. movie to be received nothing for timmy in 2020 and then so his 2021 is very interesting and i want to hear like so the three movies in 2021 that he's in he's in dune he's the lead role in dune this is like his big step up this is franchise potential this is major like budget behind him a lot of you know this is resting on his shoulders he's in dune he's in the french dispatch and he's in the one the well dune is obviously best picture nominated but also best picture nominated is don't look up well i want it's actually probably not very many people who are nominated and who are in multiple best picture nominees in the same year he's probably on a pretty short list anyway what are your opinions on those three movies and also performances? I need to rewatch The French Dispatch. I think a lot of people's opinion was his portion of The French Dispatch was the weakest. I'm not, I don't know. I mean, I really favorite... don't love the Benicio del Toro, Lia Seydoux portion of that movie. 
I think that movie starts off very sluggish for me because of that. I remember feeling more positive about the French Dispatch than a lot of people were, but I am I also... too, but it's for the other parts of it. Um I think it's a pretty funny movie unilaterally, yes. but I I don't really know if I have an opinion about him in the movie. I don't know if he's the most natural Wes Anderson performer or at least in the role that he was in. Watching it a second time really uh, enhanced his performance for me. I think he's he knows how to clip his line readings in a way that works for Wes Anderson. Um, I think he and McDormand are interesting opposite one another, even when the the story sort of takes these odd turns into them becoming lovers and whatnot. Um, I think he's good. I think I, I come down at Timmy good. I also think he's maybe the he and Jennifer Lawrence are the two things that I like about don't look don't look up. That's that's probably fair. I mean, he doesn't show up in that movie until like he has a very there. small part in that movie, but I think yeah, it yeah, is yeah. good. Dune, while I think it's not his fault, and I think he's really smartly cast in that role as Paul Atreides, mm-hmm. I don't think that character is developed all that well to me. That's my holdout about Dune, is yeah. that like Paul is not interesting and Paul is not developed well, but I don't think that that is a problem. I don't think that's the fault of the actor. The development of that character happens very heavily in Dune Part 2. And then I was reading because we there the the uh spoiler, and I'm using scare quotes here, it came out that Anya Taylor Joy uh shows up in the movie and has been cast in the movie, and everybody's like, spoiler, don't say anything about it. And it's like there's one major saying that a known character that has been in previous adaptations of this source yes. material, and this is a character that exists in the source material, um, just because they held out the casting notice yes. for a long time does not make it a spoiler. It's it's the Even only... Even if like, the, she doesn't show up until the last frame of the movie, and then you're like, oh, it's Anya Taylor-Joy. Casting her in a known character does not make it a spoiler. She... We are of one mind on this. I imagine that it'll be a thing where, because like, there's one major female character in Dune that had not been cast. It's obviously Alia. Alia is born in the second movie. And so I imagine it'll be a younger character, a younger uh, actress playing the character as a child. And then Anya Taylor-Joy will show up at the end when Alia is older. And then Alia has a major part to play in the further Dune uh, books slash movies so it's almost like if you've cast anya taylor joy who is currently being invested in as a leading actress because she's in furiosa as furiosa that's the biggest indicator to me that like yeah we're getting dune 3 like we are like we're absolutely 100 getting dune 3 and then i was reading up on this is old bring it back to chalamet i was reading up on because i've seen the the my only familiarity i've not read the books even though i for a while there i kept trying to read dune and one of these times I really will. Um, but I've seen the Children of Dune miniseries that Sci-Fi did, the one that starred uh, James McAvoy. It was the first thing I'd ever seen James McAvoy in. Um, but uh, So I'm reading up on Dune Messiah, which is the next book. Children of Dune, the miniseries, was based on both Dune Messiah and Children of Dune, which are the second and third books. The Paul Atreides character gets so fucking annoying in Dune Messiah. And I'm like, I'm wondering how 
Timmy is going to play that transition. Um, but anyway, a lot of characters is already annoying. He is kind of already annoying, which is why, like, <laughs> when he gets even more annoying in Dune Messiah. Um, but like Dune, what we're going to get in Dune Part Two is the part where we're supposed to like really go for what Paul. Like, this is where Paul sort of be- goes from, you know, son of a duke to you know, actual, like, leader of people and, and whatnot. Um, I don't think you're wrong about uh, about the Paul Atreides character. I do think a lot of it is in the casting. That's just the casting feels right in with him as Paul. Yeah. So I think that works. Um, I do know a movie that we're going to both agree on, which is his 2022 movie, Bones and All. Maybe we'll save that for a Bones and All episode. Maybe we will, but let's just say... You know I have strong feelings about Bones and All. I really like him in that movie. Entirely unshocking that I love Bones and All. No, absolutely. I also love Bones and All, by the way. Um, Another Luca movie. Um, And then 2023, we've talked about Wonka enough. I really think he's wonderful in that movie. I think he... um, Glad that Timmy is a proven, bona fide uh, box office draw. 100%. Big hit. Um... Did you know it's all? I know we've already done Timmy on IMDb Games, so it's not a spoiler to say it's already in his known for Wonka. It's not a lot of movies, and like yeah. Love the Coopers is not going to be there. So justice for Love the Coopers. Um, I'm sure his his known for is probably Dune, Call Me by Your Name, Wonka, and then is it one of the Gretas or is it maybe even Bones Bones and all? It is not Dune. <laughs> it's Call Me By Your wow. Name, Lady Bird, Beautiful Boy, and Wonka. Beautiful Boy does make sense because... Uh, this is where we need to talk about this. Yeah. Beautiful Boy does make sense because in terms of uh, a search engine optimization type of thing, that yeah. it probably affects this algorithm. He was nominated everywhere. It's It's truly yes. one of those cases that he showed up everywhere and missed it, Oscar. Mm-hmm. It's or at least everywhere he was going to show up. He didn't get critics prizes for it. No, you know, but the critics prizes were heavily for critics prizes were kind of all over the place, right? New York went for the um, big ones were pretty split between Richard E. Grant and Stephen Yeun for Burning. For Burning, God, Stephen Yeun was so good in Burning. I know that was like that would have been a really tough sell for. Oscar voters because that movie didn't really land in the states right. beyond like festivals, but fuck, he's good in that movie. and critical circles and critical circles. Yeah. Ugh. um, that's why that I think that went a long way towards Stephen Yun getting the nomination for Minari is because mm-hmm. he wasn't just this like guy from Walking Dead or whatever. He had really established himself with the role two wildly different performances too that's also that yes absolutely um i think the obvious thing about the 2018 supporting actor race is i think we all kind of resigned ourselves to the fact that sam rockwell is going to get the halo nomination for vice even though nobody wanted it to happen playing george right. w bush um vice was not a movie that people liked vice was a movie that was like experiencing it's one real good run of of attention and publicity exactly when the Oscar voters were voting. And I think you give that another few weeks and Rockwell maybe fades? 
I don't know. Here's what was kind of going on with that supporting actor race. You have Mahershala Ali winning all of the major precursors, um, which I think at the beginning felt somewhat surprising because he was such a recent winner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, before before Mahershala... For those of us who didn't realize how strong that movie was or wanted to doubt how strong that bad movie was, I think that was a sign of that movie's strength. Um, I think Mahershala is also very good in Green Book. For as much as Green Book is not a very good movie, I think Mahershala's performance is very good right. in that movie. I would characterize it as a lead. I think that is a very Same. classic two-lead performance, performance. A two-lead movie. Before Mahershala won the Globe, though, do you remember whether people thought that Richard E. Grant was going to win? People thought that Adam, like, who did who did the what was the scuttlebutt there? Well, those were the other two who showed up everywhere. That you know, yeah. By Oscar nomination morning, it really felt unrealistic that they wouldn't have shown up. Right. I I kind of don't ever remember someone. I don't remember the tenor ever being that Adam Driver had a shot at winning. Same. Really, at any point of the season, the nomination was the victory for him because it was his first nomination. It's him sort of like turning the corner from being the guy from Girls to being somebody who is now a bona fide... major directors want to work with. Exactly, exactly. Richard E. Grant felt like... Richard E. Grant felt like there could have been, for the length of his career and this also being his first nomination, initially in the season it felt like there could have been a shot, but that movie also kind of, unfortunately, fell by the wayside... And it ended up just being the screenplay and the performances for that movie. God, what a great movie. But, like, those are the, obviously, the top three within this category. And then I think you have three people jockeying for two spots between Chalamet, Sam Rockwell, and Sam Elliott for A Star is Born. Sam Elliott missed more than I realized looking at this chart that you made. He did. He wasn't Globe-nominated, wasn't BAFTA-nominated. Um, I'm really glad he was Oscar nominated because I really liked that performance a lot. He had also never had an Oscar nomination before. Right. But if if you have three people jockeying for two spots, it's regardless of any other narrative, it's unsurprising to me in the current Oscar era that we're in where Best Picture favors kind of everywhere yes. that the two who do make it through are in Best Picture Are in nominees. Best Picture nominees. That's right. Yeah, that's... Even one that seems widely loathed like Vice. And, you know, we've said yeah. before, if there was one or two weeks longer left in the voting period, yeah. Vice does not have as strong of a showing as it did. These days... But I also think Timothy Chalamet is still, you know, because he shows up at all of the precursors. Isn't Spirit nominated? But I wouldn't be surprised if Beautiful Boy actually had too large of a budget. Maybe. Um, and it was yeah. an Amazon production, which is, doesn't always seem to be a factor of like Amazon or Netflix being considered a studio, but like it's ridiculous that they aren't. Yeah. But Beautiful Boy had a $25 million budget, which is a little shocking. Um, by tw- so it might not have been eligible. By 2018, we're already well into the era of acting categories have one non-Best Picture representative. Mm. Like this one, Best Actress did have two. It had uh, Glenn Close and The Wife and Melissa McCarthy and Can You Ever Forgive Me? But otherwise, it was um, Richard E. Grant in Supporting Actor. It was Regina King in Beale Street in Supporting Actress. And it was Willem Dafoe in at Eternity's Gate 
in Best Actor. Otherwise, all of your acting nominees. So that's a grand total of five versus 15 acting nominees who represent the Best Picture contenders. This is the thing we've talked about. Um, This is the thing I'm going to be writing about soon. Um, This is a frustration of mine. And this is not a thing that was happening as much when the when the 10 the era of the 10 first happened certainly in the crafts categories but you look at like 2009 which is the first year of the best picture 10 and you look at in best actor crazy heart uh not a best picture nominee jeff bridges gets the nomination a single man colin firth um invictus for as much as we could say about invictus um so that's already Three in Best Actor who are not from the Best Actress list or from the Best Picture list. You look at Best Actress: Helen Mirren from The Last Station, Meryl Streep from Julie and Julia. So we're already up to five Best Supporting Actor: Matt Damon in Invictus, Woody Harrelson in The Messenger, Christopher Plummer in The Last Station, Stanley Tucci in The Lovely Bones. Maybe the only time I will ever point to Stanley Tucci in The Lovely Bones as a positive. That's four <laughs> out of five. Positive light. Four out of five in Best Supporting Actor. And then you go to Supporting Actress, Penelope Cruz in Nine, Maggie Gyllenhaal in Crazy Heart. So you got two, like, that's the 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 most unbalanced towards uh, Best Picture in any of them is only three out of five in Supporting Actress. So it's so much, it's it's narrowed so much more in the span of 13 years. You know what I mean? 14 years. And it does not properly reflect, to me, the breadth of good work being done in films across Mm -hmm. the year. I think that's something... Well, and I think also the depressing thing is that it really strongly indicates that they're watching fewer movies than they ever have before. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. Or they're seriously considering fewer movies than they ever have before. It could also be somewhat of the side effect of, you know, I've said this before, you know, tastes tend to flatten as, Mm -hmm. you know, more votes are cast. Yes. Um, But, yeah, I think the depressing thing is that they're watching fewer movies. I agree with you. And I don't like it. And I would like... I wonder if, and again, I've always, I'm the one who's always saying you can't legislate taste, but I don't think this is taste. I don't think, I think you look at like this, you know, this correlation, and this doesn't seem to be taste to me. This seems to me something that you can maybe structurally work, you know, around. Maybe there's, I don't know, maybe, but yeah, I guess you can't. I I mean, if there's structural work to be done, I think that's around a campaigning thing and what movie studios are pushing, because Uh I do think that there has been a shift towards, you know, if a movie doesn't have a best picture chance, then those movies fall by the wayside in terms of what studios are emphasizing. Well, and now you look at painting actively and we have fewer major studios, right? Like Disney bought the 20th century Fox. So all of a sudden that's two major studios who now have the same brain trust doing awards campaigning right so they can you know streamline it We're into looking for there's possibility for more consolidation happening which is just like yep. great we're getting to the point like we were close to 100 years ago when the government had to declare a monopoly and split up the studio well great. and i don't think we can <laughs> time is a flat circle and 
I don't think we can trust the government to do anything at this point because there's so no. much gridlock and whatever. God, we can't we can't drift into Joe talks about we, government. We can't gridlock. do it. We can't do it. To to maybe put the button on the sporting actor talk. I do think there's a level of Chalamet not getting this nomination because this is a movie that steadily diminished across the season. In I agree. Regard. And but also, I think one surprise because like. It is this really narrow field for supporting actor, which Mm -hmm. happens a lot for this category. And you could look at Chalamet as another example of, even though he was nominated the previous year, that was kind of a miracle because they don't recognize actors his age. Um, But the other one person who I'm surprised actually didn't get further in this field is uh Michael B. Jordan for Black Panther, who was nominated I was, Critics' Choice. I was very vocal that year about wanting Michael B. Jordan to get a nomination for Black Panther, partly because it would have felt a little bit less like, well, we'll give Black Panther a Best Picture nomination, but we still are not going to take it seriously as a movie that could be capable of having yeah. award-worthy performances. I think that's I think that has a lot to do with why because you can totally see that if they were going to recognize a performance from that movie it would have absolutely metastasized around him but he's by far the most because dynamic. He'd never been nominated because he's a younger actor mm-hmm. they're more willing to look at it as like just a superhero thing whereas yeah. you contrast it immediately with Angela Bassett who's a screen legend who's yeah. like doing a big performance right right it is, I will say, frustrating to look at, you You know, and again, I don't think anything falls on Timmy's shoulders here, but the fact that Chalamet gets his big breakthrough role and immediately gets a nomination for Call Me By Your Name, while somebody like Michael B. Jordan, in his Creed performance and his Black Panther performance, is just not, and his, frankly... Fruitvale Station performance, which, like, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have nominated Fruitvale Station for major awards, but that's a Weinstein Company movie that the Weinstein Company kind of actively dropped the ball in campaigning. I know Octavia Spencer was, you know, being she was campaigned the best for that movie, but yeah. like, I think now, like, this is if I'm Michael B. Jordan, I'm looking at my career and being like. Look at all these other people who have gotten Oscar nominations for like one good performance. And meanwhile, Fruitvale Station is well received enough and certainly, you know, positioned well enough for Oscars. The Creed performance is widely acclaimed. The Black Panther performance is widely acclaimed. And none of those, it's not like he was close for any of those. He doesn't get anything for any of those. He doesn't get BAFTA, he doesn't get SAG, he doesn't get critics... Uh, he might have gotten a critics' choice, because they're... Like he did, for Black Panther, are you saying? For anything, for Creed. For... Well, for, I'm thinking uh, for all of these, you know what I mean, sort of together. Yeah. Um, But, like, he doesn't really come close for any of these, and if I'm him, I'm like, I gotta get new... Rep- you know what I mean? Like, I gotta, I gotta get a new public- publicity team or something. Um, But... That's got to be frustrating, is all I'm thinking. Right. Other contenders that year, I'm looking at your uh, chart again. Lord knows, an eighth grade is a screenplay nominee. nominee. So um, you wonder what it would have taken in, you know, what kind of butterfly effect 
could have worked to get Josh Hamilton some traction for eighth grade because I do think he's so wonderful in that movie. I love that Raul Castillo has the Indie Spirit nomination for We the Animals. We the Animals is a good movie. movie. I love that actor. Raul Castillo is incredible. He's great. But that movie, even more so than the performance, I think the movie is just really great. I highly recommend We the Animals. Um, And I've never seen Monsters and Men, but John David Washington got the Spirit nomination for Monsters and Men. Good for him. We should also wrap it up on the movie. We are past the two-hour mark, which I did not expect for this movie. I swear to God. Uh, I think one of my major complaints we hadn't brought up, and to the point that it actively, I think, works against maybe the best scene in the movie, uh, the absolutely bombastic music choices in this movie. Yeah. I like one of them. From the jump. Like, five minutes into the movie... Yeah. Not good. You can see how this was initially a Cameron Crowe project because of all of the music that was yeah. uh involved and the most Cameron Crowe moment though. It's weird to think that maybe the Cameron Crowe version of this movie is much better, but it might be much better. Um the scene that I think it really derails and it's doing some of the best stuff in the movie and I think the best performance in the movie is the scene with Maura Tierney getting in the car to chase after Nick yes. when he tries to break into that or does break into the house. Yes. Maura Tierney is so good with so little to do in this movie. I know. They really needed that that scene plays so much better if you get more of her character earlier in the movie because then it's paying off something rather than just sort of like, oh, this is a window into just how much this character cares about him. And mm-hmm. it just And the whole like portrait of the whole family Mm -hmm. and how everyone is really involved in this situation because you know I think on paper you and just in the narrative of what the movie is and who the movie cares most about you expect Steve Carell to be in that car what's the soundtrack choice is that where they they use that song that sounds like Rush but but isn't Rush I think so yeah but it's just like you don't you really don't need that it's not the one it's not necessary that actor is giving you everything mm-hmm. you need yes um and like that's the scene that makes me the most emotional and partly because of what Maura Tierney is doing Van Groningen has this impulse with his movies did you see Broken Circle Breakdown I did which he directed before this I did and was a foreign language nominee mm-hmm. I really don't like that movie it's I wanted to I, like it I a lot more than I did it's like non-stop music yeah yeah. and like it's a music-based movie the characters are musicians like that makes more sense yeah yeah and then um did you see you did not see the eight mountains i didn't uh which he co-directed uh along with charlotte vandermeer are they all musicians is that why they're eight mountains they're in a band together (laughs) eight different musicians yeah uh eight mountains was a it's a better movie than this movie is. I see why some people really like it. I think it's the most Bonnie Vare movie I've ever seen without featuring a single Bonnie Vare song. Sure. But at any minute, a Bonnie Vare song can happen. Um, And like, I, I do really like that lead actor that's in it. Uh, Luca Marinelli. Yeah. Who was also great. And Martin Eden. Um, Another I had limitations I with that movie, but like this musical impulse. Well, the one moment I really liked, and it's mostly because I like the song so much, is the Heart of Gold scene, the Neil Young Heart of Gold scene. See, I even feel like, oh, you don't need to 
leap to heart of gold and i mean I you're lo- not wrong i love that song too i love, I that, love song. that song but like you don't gotta leap to that the moment where it goes from being a flaw in the movie to outright ridicule and i do feel like this is the moment where the people who hate this movie really went from this is a flawed movie to this is an embarrassment is fucking sunrise sunset like you can't do it's weird is this the little boy i carried in this movie about is this the little boy i carried it's so fucking on the nose and it's so cheesy and it's so it's played it's not even played subtly too like so loud a, a fairly straightforward drama and then to make the the choice to use it's laughable a very very specific musical theater song it has to work with very on the nose lyrics yeah like it has to work incredibly perfectly and it doesn't it feels cornball it feels Um, it feels satirical it feels like you're like making fun of you know your own movie it's ridiculous yeah um a couple other notes that i had well you said you hated the everything everything thing so uh, talk about it it's it's just that's their way of saying I love you. It's their little family way of saying I love you is he says everything and the other one says everything. And you finally get the scene where the 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 origin story of everything, everything, where it's like, I think we got it. I think we can understand. Like, I understood what that, you know, I could extrapolate. I can, you know, yeah. I'm smart. It, it's it's a big ask. Yeah. It, it's 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 cheesy in the, even if it's something that they these two real people had yeah when you frame it in a movie it's yeah it takes you out of the movie did you notice the one point there there's a lot of shots of, of like uh david's wall of accomplishments he's got an article he wrote about uh steve jobs and whatever and then at some point there's an article there's a wall with nick's stuff and one of them is a letter from keith herring did you notice that that no. yes, that it was like you only see it for a second, but there's like it, the letterhead is like a Keith Herring drawing, and then it's like Nick, and you know it's a, just a you know it was you know it was nice seeing you, and and you know thank you for sending me this whatever piece of artwork you sent, and it's like them talking as familiars, you know what I mean? Um, and I was like, that's got to be obviously taken from real life. Nick Chef must have you know known keith herring in some capacity when he was in new york but again like it just made me be like i wanted more of his life in new york if we're supposed to you know but anyway um the other thing that i wrote down when i looked this was was, uh researching this movie was a quote about the book about uh the the david chef memoir beautiful boy uh starbucks picked it as one of the few books it would sell in its coffee shops oh so there you go um that's it. I think that's all my notes on last note. I would say because we have frequently dogged on Amazon as a campaigner and having uh, some flop product mm-hmm. this year is not a great Oscar year, though they got one of the big surprises I would say of this current era, which was getting Paul Pawlikowski the Cold War Best Director nomination. Right, that was some Cold War ended up being yes when everything else was kind of out of the mix and a flop Oscar-wise, they ended up... That was a determined and skillful campaign that basically, like, you know, time to make the donuts, you know, that kind of workmanship (laughs) went into getting that nomination for Pawlikowski. So, good job. They also had, obviously, the big flop with Life Itself and Suspiria, which I remember that tiff, like, one of the movies we were most 
uh, sad we wouldn't get to see at the festival was Suspiria, and not taking Suspiria to TIFF was a smart choice. <laughs> yes, I, I remember even when it premiered at New York Film would Festival, not have there. there was a lot of puzzlement even at New York Film Festival, which is a much more friendly landing space, I think, for a movie like that. I, of course, love Suspiria. We've talked about this. I love it. Episode I, on it. I was a little b- among the befuddled at first, but now I love that movie, yeah. and of course I love Luca. Yeah. I would also say, and we can save talk for this when we do an episode on this, because I will absolutely strong arm us into doing it this year. They had Peterloo that year, I and Peter it kind Lou. of got a non-response at Venice and mm-hmm. Toronto, mm-hmm. and then they ended up like not really announcing a plan for it all year, and then kind of dumping it in 2019. Yep. Uh, we love we, we love Peter Lou like so much. You can call us Peter Pals, and um, <laughs> that's all I will say about that. Uh, all right, beautiful boy. Joe, would you like to explain the IMDb game to our listeners? Would love it. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with the name of an actor or actress, and we try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television shows, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles released here as a clue, and if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hits. How are we kicking this off? Are you giving first? Are you guessing first? I'll guess first. All right. So one thing we didn't really mention is that Beautiful Boy is a reunion from The Office between Amy Ryan, yes. Steve Carell. What have I done? I have gone into the cast of The Office and chosen uh, none other than Mr. Craig Robinson. Oh, I was wondering where you were going to go with the cast of The Office. Okay. No oh, television. And Craig Robinson, Hot Tub Time Machine. Hot Tub Time Machine, correct. Hot Tub Time Machine 2? God damn it. Yes, correct. Okay, it's good because I don't remember that one Sundance movie that he was in that people really liked him in. I don't remember the title of it. Um, he got the Sundance Acting Prize that year. He did. I can't and I think an Indie Spirit Award. Can you tell me if it's that one? I'm just, I'll count it as a wrong answer because I can't remember the title, but is it that Morris one? Morris from America? Yeah. Incorrect. Okay. Um, Craig Robinson. He's always in like ensemble roles or like, huh. No, this is why I chose it. It's difficult. Uh-huh. And no voices in animated anything, right? No. Okay, Craig Robinson is in Ensemble people are the most fun to do for this game. From your end, yeah. It could be a million pe- it could be a million different movies, a million different movies. And when you think of them as an ensemble player, a lot of those things tend to just blur together. 100%. Um Where have I seen him recently? Um, God, I'm going to burn an answer, and I'm just going to say, even though I don't think he's in this, um, uh, Rat Race. Uh, incorrect. Your years are 2008 and 2013. Well, great. 2008. So, like, that's in the thick of, like, early office. This is a romantic comedy, mostly starring vehicle for 
two people, but I would say that there is a strong ensemble behind them, of which he is among them. Is it like a romance for this the central couple? Uh, yes and no. Uh, this is a director who we kind of just don't want to deal with. Um, though I know you Woody Allen, things. No. Roman Polanski, not that bad. Okay. Um, Craig Robinson and Roman Polanski. Listen, I don't know. You you said uh, um... this is a movie that I think is more known for its title, and people would probably be like, "Oh yeah, that title," and not realize that it's from this director. Hmm. And I Michael Bay? A, no. Uh wrong genre. Craig Robinson is in this. I know. Craig Robinson could have been could be in a Michael Bay movie. That's possible. Michael Bay's not making a romantic comedy. Well, that's true. All right. Romantic comedy. But like I'm pretty sure this was meant as a pseudo comeback for this director who had done some notable bombs semi recently to this movie. But the bombs, I don't think. Is were he a notable romantic comedy director? A notable comedy director? Uh, notable comedy director, specifically for the '90s, kind of revolutionized comedy in the '90s. Okay, Mike Meyer. No, no uh, lo- think low budget. Oh, Kevin Smith. Yes, Kevin. Zach Smith. and Miri make a porno. Zach and Miri make a porno. Okay, I definitely saw that movie. Um, and then the last one, it's an ensemble comedy from 2013 that people loved at the time and now really just don't want to deal with. Really? I'm not going to guess Woody Allen again. Um, what was his 2013 movie even? I don't know. 2013 summer ensemble comedy. Summer ensemble comedy. What, can you tell me what year? concept at that. High concept. Can you tell me what year Hot Tub Time Machine was? Hot Tub Time Machine is, let me go back to that tab, 2010. So this is between the Hot Tub Between the Hot Tub's Time Machine. Okay. Um, Is it a Apatow? Adjacent? Adjacent. Is it not Pineapple Express? That comes earlier. Not role models? No, higher concept than that. Bigger, much bigger cast than that. This is the end. This is the end. Okay, for God's sake. With everybody credited as themselves. (sighs) Yeah, is he one of them who's credited as himself? Yes. Okay. He's on the poster. Sure. I did not care for that movie. I know Rihanna's in it. That's one of the things I remember. And Michael (laughs) Sarah's like a dick or something like that. That's... All right, Craig Robinson. I went too easy on you with this one. Um, I went through Dune Part Two, Dune Two, as they say. Tune, tune. Um, one of the many, many cast members. I believe, uh, he gets a with on this poster. I think it's with, uh, this person with Charlotte Rampling and Javier Bardem. I think is the way. Uh, that this movie goes, it is the original. The original Dune, Dune not Tune, right? Is with with and I think right. This is another with with and, but it's a different. Although I think Charlotte Rampling is with in both of them. Um, 
And Bardem is the and in both of them. No, I think Oscar Isaac's the and in the in the first one. Really? I think it's How with Bardem. I think it's with Bardem with now I'm looking it up. Um <laughs> Dune poster. I think it's with Bardem with Rampling and Oscar Isaac. Dune poster. I want to get that Dune popcorn bucket so bad. Um okay. Let's see. Open image in new tab. For eating popcorn or not eating popcorn? <laughs> Did you see the video of Becky Ferguson responding to the Dune popcorn? No. She's she's very funny woman. Why she has not been cast in a comedy is a mystery to me. Okay, you're Incredibly right. Funny one. It is and Charlotte, or sorry, with Charlotte Rampling, with Jason Momoa and Javier Bardem. The thing I also had to remind myself is that Momoa's character dies in the first one. Sure did. Um, because Momoa will be back in Dune Three, is what I will tell you. Um, in some form or another. All right. Um, nothing is a spoiler. These books have been around forever. Okay. So anyway, I'm giving you Stellan Skarsgård. All that ramp up to say I'm giving you Stellan Skarsgård, the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen in Dune. You say that's easy, but this man has been in a million different I didn't say it's easy. I said it's every easier, single continent. Easier than Craig Robinson. And he's been in a billion ensemble. No, movies. this is he's kind of hard. Actually, huge and small. This is. I'm happy that this is hard. I'm happy after this is going to be so hard. Though I do think Mamma Mia. Is We've already done the other two Scars Guards, so this completes the Scars Guard loop for us. We've done yes, it does. Alexander and Bill. Uh, Mamma Mia. No. Okay. Strike one. Homophobia is uh, alive and well <laughs> among our ranks, especially on uh... IMDb. This is an um, IMDb, IMDb has truly been one of the most homophobic uh, websites in existence. That's part of the reason why they shut the forums down. This is a deeply um, unwell uh, known for, I will say. God, there's so many things. It's just... Girl with a dragon tattoo? I would have said that too, but nope. Two strikes. Nope, All right. Nope. Here are I thought your... he was like third build in that movie. Here are your years. 1997, 1997, 2013, 2013. Okay. Um, so, 2013, after Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, mm-hmm. after Mamma Mia, I'm willing to bet that these are all going to be Hollywood movies. 2000, two 2007 movies? Did you say 2007? 97. 97. 1997. Uh, one of them's... No, that's not Breaking the Waves. That's... 96. Yeah. Um, so maybe one of the 97 is not American. Oh, man. Um, okay, so 2013. What's going on in 2013? That he is adjacent to. It could be. He's not in like. A, wait. Is he in a Spielberg? He has to be in a Spielberg. But Spielberg 2013 is like. After Warhorse, It can't be the BFG. I think BFG is 2015. Ooh. Oh, man. BFG is 2015. Thank you. 
Is that Tintin? No, Tintin was the same year as Warhorse. Um, yes, it was. He's definitely in a Spielberg, though. Um. Okay. The difficult thing is, like, what the hell? Uh, 97, he's probably in American movies at that point. He's probably in British movies at that point. What? I'm trying to even think of Oscar movies, because he's certainly been in Best Picture nominees before that aren't Dune. Um, 97 is, like... Oh, Good Will Hunting. There you go. I was waiting for it. Yes. Good Will Hunting. Good Will Hunting. The like most underrated cast member of Goodwill. He's Hunting. very good. He's so good. He's good very Will good Hunting. in that movie. Yep. Um. Okay, but is the other ninety-seven movie going to be American as well? Except, what would it be? Is he in the original Insomnia? But I think that's earlier nineties than ninety-seven. It's not Insomnia. What's the 20... He's been in Nolan movies before, I think. But I don't think Nolan has a 2013 because it's... 2012 is Dark Knight Rises and then 2014 is Interstellar. Is he in 12 Years a Slave? He's not. I don't think... I I didn't think so. uh, It could have been, but no, he's not. You thought this was easy, but like the uh, the years, honestly, I feel like is what's driving me. It's crazy. definitely the years not easy. is what makes it harder. I just said it's easier. Than this is the first person I feel like getting the years is making it harder. I know it is. Ninety seven. Is it something like Armageddon is ninety eight, so it's not Armageddon, but it has to be a movie like an Armageddon. What would that have been in ninety seven? Not Titanic. He's not in Titanic. Um. Ready? I need some hints. I okay. Need some hints. You've mentioned two directors already in your in your uh debates that definitely that will get you the answers. I mentioned Spielberg and Nolan. One of them is Spielberg. Is he in the Lost World? He's not in the Lost World. The other 97 I think is Amistad and he's not in Amistad. Is he an Amistad? He's an Amistad. Amistad. Amistad is on his known form? Yes. Isn't that insane? That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. So Amistad, oh, like, I don't even know who he is in Amistad. I don't think you've mentioned the other director by name, but you mentioned him by project in a way that, like, you should revisit Bay. That. No. Um... You sort of ruled this out because it was the wrong year, but like, stick with that filmmaker. Von Trier. Is that uh, Nymphomaniac? Is it both Nymphomaniacs? It's both Nymphomaniacs. Isn't that the wildest known for? Goodwill Hunting, both Nymphomaniacs, and Amistad. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> First of all, that that's the Von Trier that shows up twice. Uh huh. In that wild, Nymphomaniac Volumes One and I'm Glad two. I got there, but what a ro- what a road, what a road getting there. I just it was so funny that you were like, it's got to be a Spielberg. What was the 2013 Spielberg? And I'm like, this is great. <laughs> My logic was good. It, it, My was, logic was good. It was. It was good logic. It was just 
first of all, you never would have gotten to Amistad. No. No. Because I don't remember him in the movie. No. I genuinely don't. It's wild. Okay, so like, Stellan Skarsgård's known for should be at least one Mamma Mia, the girl with the dragon tattoo, maybe like Avengers, you know what I mean? If we're going to like talk about that or like Thor, the dark world. Oh, right. He's in the Thor movies. Right. Um, maybe breaking the way a lot of American studio movies is the thing. That's the thing. But like, Um, it's wild to me that it's Amistad and the Nymphomaniacs. When you think about the things that get you, Mm -hmm. like get a movie onto the known for what it seems like the algorithm is like, he's in two pirates of the Caribbean movies. That's right. I didn't guess pirates of the Caribbean either. He's Um, in, the the weird uh, Antoine Fuqua King Arthur, um, Dogville. If you're going to do a Von Trier, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, breaking the way. But waves, there's like movies that show up in other people's known for. Yeah, like so. Why? Right, like Goodwill Hunting, I guess makes sense. But the other Goodwill Hunting don't makes all the sense in the, in the grand world. scheme yes. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is, by the way, in the uh, in the uh, Insomnia. The original Insomnia that's directed by Eric Skoldenberg. Yeah. Literally one of those like vowels is that A and E that are the same fused together mm-hmm. thing. Um the the conjoined twin A and E. Scandinavia, what are you doing? We gotta get out of here. We gotta Listeners, get out of here. Thank you for listening. That's our episode. If you want more of this head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at this head Oscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz, on Instagram at this head Oscar Buzz, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash this had Oscar Buzz. Joe, where can the listeners find more of you? I'm on the socials at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. Find me on Letterboxd is probably the best place to find me right now. I am still on X, but, like, probably shouldn't be. Don't call it X. I mean, I'll do the Bob the Drag Queen. <laughs> the Bob, you can call it that if you do the Bob. I'll do the, the Bob the Drag Queen X in front of my mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, I shouldn't call it X. It's stupid to call it X. You're right. You can all, you can find me at Chrissy File. That's F E I L. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for the technical guidance, Taylor Cole for this theme music. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else. You, well, not Stitcher anymore. Uh, wherever else you can get your <laughs> podcast, five star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So give us not one, not two, but uh, multiple nymphomaniac hardcore five stars don't know where i'm going with that but that's all for this week if you want more uh we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz more buzz bye